My name is Carlos Cisco. I recently was a writer on Star Trek Discovery Season 4, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents... Neil Before Pod. Welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that is really overwhelmed by the volume of content, but we'll give it a go anyway. I'm your host, Craig, and we are here to discuss all of the news and trailers, and probably actually pretty close to all of the news and trailers released in February 2022. Joining me on this, the first in our new era, the first post-200 era of the podcast, where we do basically more of the same kind of stuff, episode 201. So joining me for the first out of the gate after that is Andrew. Hello. Hello. It feels incredibly special to be the person to have been granted such an auspicious task of going through what appears to be the nerdy equivalent of a marathon. Because there's a lot of things to talk about. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. There's definitely Things went down in February. Yeah. What is going on, content makers? Why not give us a rest? I remember a few years ago they were talking about all these big blockbuster releases that were coming out over the course of a single summer and they were saying there's going to be so many flops and this bubble is going to burst soon and here we are, probably ten years later, or certainly five years later. The bubble hasn't burst yet and people are just churning out more and more stuff. There's more streaming services than you could pay for, there's more films you could ever watch, there's more TV shows than you could ever watch. Even though you're interested in it, I don't have time for all this, but... We're going to just talk about all the stuff we don't have time for anyway, so we'll give it a go. It's almost like it's too good a time to be a geek right now. Remember when we used to complain that there was never anything for us? There's that whole kind of careful what you wish for phrase that exists for a reason. It's almost like someone made a wish and got that wish granted and now we're in this mess because this person's made this wish and now there's just too much content to handle and they don't know what to do with it. They're being punished for not wishing properly or making that wish. Yeah, clearly somebody found the monkey's paw and did not know how to treat it with respect. Yep. And thankfully there's nothing to do with the monkey's paw in any of this content. That'll be next month. But before we get to discussing the specifics, let's start with a bit of a roundup of what we've been watching and maybe anything to plug. So what's a few of the things that you've been watching over the last while that are notable for being good or bad? Well, for me, the most notable thing recently was Peacemaker. As if anyone listening doesn't know, is the TV series following John Cena's character from the Suicide Squad. As he generally stumbles around trying to figure out what the hell is going on while being incredibly violent. And also trying to not be incredibly violent at the same time. Which was an interesting balance to strike, but... I actually think they managed it quite well. The series is a hell of a lot of fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but at the same time, it knows when to dial back the humour a bit. And I think that if superhero TV were more like this, and maybe a little bit less than the now somewhat formulaic Arrowverse shows that we're getting, I think a lot more people would be talking about them, and it would be a bit less niche. I love Peacemaker. I thought it was great. It's a great mix of humour and heart, and 
It has things to say while also, as you say, not taking itself too seriously, but taking itself seriously enough. It exists in its own plane of existence, really, so it all flows in together. One criticism I have for the first Guardian of the Galaxy movie is I felt like the humour was at odds with anything serious that was happening. So they'd be having an interesting character moment and then something stupid would happen. And you get that in a lot of shows. And you get that in MCU movies sometimes as well. They have a really heartfelt moment that they never allow to land because then they have to just undercut it with a joke. Something that Chris and I discussed during our No Way Home discussion was a particularly good moment that, that did that. I won't say what that is. I don't want to be too specific. Go listen to that and we'll, we'll hear us talk about it. I feel like Peacemaker never did that. It kept everything where it needed to be and John Cena is just great in that role. I was really surprised by how sympathetic he could be while also just being kind of clueless and ridiculous. He strikes that balance perfectly. I think John Cena is the perfect comedic talent for that sort of thing. That deadpan performance and then that almost childlike confusion about the way the world works in different ways. And I love his little takes on superheroes, just different superheroes, where he just has these little criticisms of various ones. Like, where do you get this stuff? Really good. As a very specific type of character that John Cena absolutely excels at, and that's people who think that they're a lot smarter than they actually are, and are placed in a situation where they actually realise that they're not as smart as they think they are. You said offline you haven't seen the last couple of episodes yet, so I won't say what the thing is, but he references Green Arrow in the last episode, and obviously has a very particular opinion on him that might come from somewhere or other. And Stephen Amell was contacted on Twitter by somebody, apparently, to ask if he'd seen the comment about Green Arrow and Peacemaker, and he said, no, I've been too busy showing John Cena how to do professional wrestling. So it's a great little <laughs> dig there. <laughs> For those that don't know, Stephen Amell is in, or was in, a show about a wrestler, which I haven't seen. One called Heels, which was actually quite good. I've heard, I just haven't got around to it because I've got this big list of content to talk about. Not even watch, just talk about. So yes, Peacemaker, definitely watch it. Want to try and podcast about it at some point, but might wait until either it releases in the UK or it's about to release in the UK or before season two comes out because it's been a bit long now, I suppose. We'd love to talk about it in more detail. I would do want to watch it again as well. So yeah, we'll definitely do that. Anything else that you want to talk about that you've been watching? Another quite good discovery was the Amazon Prime series Reacher, based on the Jack Reacher novels, a character who has been previously played to bland indifference by Tom Cruise in, in a couple of films. <laughs> so I think this adaptation worked a lot better, partly because being eight episodes long, it had a lot more room to manoeuvre than the length of a single film. And there's also the fact that Alan Richardson is quite considerably closer to the physical size that the Reacher is described in novels than Tom Cruise is. The physical disparity between a written character and the actor who plays them isn't normally something I would have an issue with, but because Reacher's inhuman size is such a core aspect of his identity and the way that he can comport himself, then to cast someone basically the size of Tom Cruise is just doing him a massive disservice. Because he's someone who just needs to look physically intimidating by his very presence. He just needs to walk into a room for people to be wary of him. And there's also the factor that one of his advantages is that as a result of, of his physical appearance, people tend to underestimate his intelligence, which tends to give him one over on the people he finds himself up against. The thing about the Tom Cruise movies, or certainly the first one, was Tom Cruise's involvement meant that it got made, wasn't it? It wasn't something that anybody was really that interested in until 
he was involved and then they tried to project I guess the untouchability of Jack Reacher through his attitude which kind of worked I thought the first Jack Reacher movie was alright I didn't like the second one that much although it was pretty dire I haven't seen the show I've heard mixed things about it apparently Alan Richardson's acting ability hasn't really improved since his days on Smallville there is that but given how taciturn a character Reacher is it's not something that's as glaring as it might otherwise have been Speaking of Smallville, Kristen Crook's in it, isn't she? She's in some of it. She is, yes. She's one of the more significant supporting characters. Oh, okay. Cool. I don't think I'll ever watch it, to be honest. This is one of those things that passes me by. It's a bit like the John Krasinski, Jack Ryan. Yeah, in theory I might be interested, but it's not going to happen, probably. <laughs> I might not have watched it if I hadn't read most of the books, just because I was interested to see how they would be adapted this time. And also because the series takes its plot from the initial novel, as opposed to the first Tom Cruise movie, which was the ninth one, I believe, and the second one, which was the 17th or something oh like that. So there's potentially 20-odd years of content to come from this show. Yeah, there's quite a chronology to get through. I don't think they'll ever make it that far. Is it one of those every novel sort of set in a different year or whatever, so the Jack Reacher ages along with the novels, or is it just, yeah, that's a few weeks after the last one or something like that, so you always get them roughly the same age? It's not made especially clear just how much time takes place in between each of them, unless there's specific references to previous events happening this long in the past. And there are also a few of them that take place chronologically prior to the initial novel, when Reacher was still in the army. All over the place, basically. Pretty much, yeah. Though it's not complicated to follow. They're moderately distracting reads, but after a while you start to realise quite how formulaic they are. They're airport novels, aren't they? They're designed to be the kind of book you would buy in an airport to take on holiday with you. Like a John Grisham type situation where it's just, this is fine. This will divert you. Sorry for all the Reacher fans I have just offended by saying that they're simple plotted, whatever, but... Yeah, there's a place for that. Obviously there is. They made a show out of it and Alan Richardson, yeah, he seems like a nice guy. I heard him on Michael Rosenbaum's podcast and he was quite insightful and quite interesting and he has a lot going on. So, cool. I just wish he could act, I suppose, but then again, whatever. I'm not going to really watch him in much. There were like a couple of other significant watches, but it'll probably be more organic to come to them during the conversation because they'll come up as, as part of what we'll be discussing later. Cool. Okay. For my watch list, it's... More of the same. I've seen Peacemaker, obviously, which we already discussed. I've been watching Legends of Tomorrow, which, as we record, is one episode left. It's about to finish its possibly final season because it's not been renewed yet, which is awkward. Let's hope it gets at least one more. So we're not left on an incomplete note, I suppose. Not that these things are ever complete as such, but let's not cut it off after seven years without giving it a chance to finish completely. Been a really good season, been really enjoying it. Batwoman, which I've been watching and not reviewing, I've been kind of enjoying that. It's washing over me a bit because I'm not thinking too much about it, but it's been a decent enough season. Star Trek Discovery, reviewing that. It's been fine. I think it's losing momentum in the second half of the season like it usually does, and there's some things that annoy me about it. Read my reviews, they're all in there. There'll be a podcast coming up eventually as well. I've also been watching a couple of sitcoms, How I Met Your Father, despite myself, I for some reason, I've kept watching it, even though it's not very good. The first couple of episodes were atrocious, but I seem to have settled into a groove of, I'm okay with putting this on for 20 minutes when I'm doing something else, which is damning it with faint praise, I suppose. I'm not going to say it's fine, it's pretty bad, but at the same time, it's 20 minutes of stuff that I'm watching. Same with Ghosts, the show with Rose McIver in it. Again, it's fine, maybe less than fine, but... Sometimes when I have 20 minutes to kill while making dinner, it can be on in the background and I don't have to pay too much attention to it. I wouldn't recommend you watch either of those things, but I'm still watching them, (laughs) despite myself. 
To be honest, after watching the British version of Ghosts, I really didn't feel the need to watch another version of it, despite it having Rose McIver. Not even Rose McIver could drag you into it. That's interesting. If there was something that would convince me, it would be her, but so far it has failed to do so. And I watched three bang average Christmas Netflix movies because she was in them. That's dedication. (laughs) It's something. It's a psychosis. Let's not sugarcoat it. That's what it is. It's just me being... Absolutely nuts and making poor choices with my management of my own time. <laughs> Over on the movie side, I watched Catwoman Hunted, which I thought was really good. Really stylish little heisty type thing. Structurally, it's a bit weird. It's basically she fights a bunch of different magic-based boss battles. It was written by Greg Weissman. He did a really good job. And yeah, it was good. I really enjoyed it. Animated DC films. They're hit and miss, aren't they, the animated DC films, but that's one that I would consider to be a bit of a hit. So I would say watch that. Of lesser quality was Uncharted, the Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg video game adaptation. I just thought it was pretty bland by the numbers. Indiana Jones clone stuff that was just, why did you make this? I mean, I know why you made it, but why did you make this? And why did you put so little effort in? Tom Holland, I can't buy him as an adult. I struggle. When he plays (laughs) an adult now, I'm like, this guy's still 15. (laughs) He still looks like he's 15. In the film, he's working in a bar, and I'm thinking, are you even old enough to be in here? Which is a joke (laughs) that Mark Wahlberg makes in the trailer. The actual line doesn't make it into the film. But they have a few jabs at his age in the film. Mark Wahlberg keeps calling him kid and stuff like that. And yeah, he's young. He looks young, even though he's 25, isn't he? Something like that, yeah. I wonder if he'll just be young for a while, and then he'll just look too old. He'll never enjoy that middle ground of being in his 30s where he can play those sorts of roles believably he'll be young and then he'll be old and he'll never get to enjoy the in-between spoils the other big film I saw was Spoonfall really bad I like that sort of stuff and it's just smacks of so little effort Roland Emmerich was making fun of superhero movies and was like no one watches films like this anymore so maybe if you made it worth watching people might just saying maybe just do that yeah not great don't watch it it's not worth it it's not any good whatsoever it's just Again, by the numbers, crap. Reviews for all three of those are on the site. Read them. I also appeared on a podcast called Real Talk over on We Made This, which is fulfilling my plugging as well. I'm plugging the We Made This network where I appear sometimes. So I appeared on podcasts about Uncharted and Moonfall, where I just talked about how I didn't like them. And that's about <laughs> it. So there we go. That's my plugging out of the way, other than doing our plug for the 200th podcast because it was a lot of fun the edited version is shorter than the video version because basically what i did was i cut out any reference to stuff that we could see when we did our live twitch stream because it wouldn't make any sense on audio usually it's an extended audio version we go the other way around but yeah listen to that just because we have to be different and special we do do you have anything specific to plug that you've been plodding along with very little actually i haven't done very much reviewing at all lately. The only recent thing I did was for a novel called Seven Mercies, which was by a couple of authors named Elizabeth May and Laura Lamb. It's the second part of a duology that began with a book called Seven Devils. And it's basically about a bunch of variably angry, variably psychotic, and variably queer women basically being thrown together and trying to overthrow a dystopian galactic empire. Cool. Both of them are absolutely brilliant. I would wholeheartedly recommend them to anybody because as well as a lot of action and violence and excitement and infiltration, there's uh, also a great deal of heart and emotion and character development in because they're actually characters that you genuinely care about and when they're in danger that you're genuinely 
fearful for their safety and desperately trying to figure out a way how they can make it out of the latest predicament that they landed themselves in. Cool. We'll put a link to the review in the show notes. And how long will it be before we're discussing the proposed film adaptation? probably starring Timothy Chalamet. Hopefully not before too long. Though if it were to feature him, then he would likely need need to be a petulantly psychotic emperor, either being one of the few significant male characters in the saga. He was just the first name I picked. I mean, there's a list of names that are always in these sorts of things. Oh, yes, yeah. One of them. Basically, very young-looking, scrawny white guys with a mop of curly hair. There's a shortage of them, apparently. Yes, so they apparently need to be promoted as much as possible. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to trailers. We have a bunch of them. More than a bunch. Let's start with Elvis. Baz Luhrmann is directing a biopic about Elvis, which seems to focus on a very specific point in his life, although it's not clear how much of his life it actually covers. There's flashes of him later in life and things. I don't really have much of a connection to Elvis as a performing artist and his music and so on, so I had no idea if Austin Butler is any good. He is doing his own singing. It looks really stylish, and Baz Luhrmann's probably the best choice to make something like this. It's going to be a mix between grounded and larger than life, which is probably a good description for Elvis himself, I guess. He sort of occupied both of those sides of things. He was legendary, but he was also relatable in a way. He was just kind of everywhere. He was everyone. He was no one, at least as I understand it. So I'll check this out. I like the look of the trailer. It looks pretty energetic and fun and whatever yeah it looks good and Tom Hanks is in it there's another part of history that you can embody if aliens ever watch just our content like in Galaxy Quest they'll just think Tom Hanks this guy is everywhere I've only seen Austin Butler in a few things and to be honest he's never really made that much of an impression on me this seems to be just a painfully generic pretty boy his dumb thing because apparently couldn't find anybody more compelling the most prominent I've seen him in was this fantasy series called the Shannara Chronicles where he was the central character despite being this half-elf guy discovering magical powers that he didn't know he had and attempting to save the world at various different times and in different ways. He just wasn't really that interesting, to be honest. And another random thing you might dimly recall was he was in a few episodes of Arrow in the early season. It was this really obnoxious DJ that Thea was into. Yeah. And they turned out to be an assassin. Yeah, season three. And then got killed. Yeah. God, that's him. Okay. Yeah. Less said about that, the better, I suppose. Yeah, but like you, I don't have a great deal of personal connection to Elvis Presley's music. I think it's just possibly just a generational thing. But I think the film itself, it certainly looks interesting enough for what it actually is. A story about a singularly focused guy who desperately wants to be famous and successful, and the conniving Dutch con man who helped him to achieve it. I bet you the Legends producers are just thinking, oh, if we'd done the Elvis episode a couple of seasons earlier, we could add this guy. <laughs> Sadly. It was not to be. No. And also because it's a Baz Luhrmann film, then there is a very specific style that you can expect, which you've already quite efficiently laid out. And I'm expecting pretty much the same. It would be either Baz Luhrmann making it or Dexter Fletcher. One of them. (laughs) It was going to be one or the other. And we've got Baz Luhrmann. A random psychopath from early Guy Ritchie movies really isn't somebody I would have expected to have made a name for himself in musical biopics. Picking up after Brian Singer, who is a different kind of psychopath. Yes. Let's not get into that. No, because it it will get heated and excessively bleeped out as I get increasingly enraged. So let's move on to our next trailer, which is Lightyear, a full trailer for it. I really like the look of this. He has a companion robot cat, which is nice. It looks really great. It fights Zerg, and it's supposed to be the film that inspires the toy, which makes me wonder why no one wanted the cat companion in Toy Story. I know it's because they hadn't come up with it yet for 
this film that didn't exist at that point. But at the same time, it would be the sought after thing. Unless everyone hates the cat companion, which is possible. Who knows? But it looks really good. I am really sick of every space thing using that David Bowie song because it's in every single thing. Mm-hmm. Also very sick of the musical stylistic choice of taking a popular and well-known song and using it to create an atmosphere of unease by adopting a down-tempo melancholic cover of it. Yeah, that's annoying too. It's just so overused to the point it's become meaningless, and this is another example of it. But despite that, I think the film looks like a hell of a lot of fun. Honestly, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that it actually needed to specifically be the Lightyear movie. Just from what's been seen so far, it looks like it would largely work well enough on its own without giving it that Toy Story connection. But I'm sure that that will be more heavily played into things in the film itself at some point. Yeah, you could be right. I think the connection doesn't need to be there, but equally it is there, so it doesn't really matter I suppose. It's a difficult one, it's one of those things where you want people in to watch it because they like Toy Story but then if you're aiming at young kids they'll just watch it anyway probably because it exists and that tends to happen with kids animated stuff I think but I don't know. Would I watch this if it wasn't Lightyear and if it was called something else? Probably. But the idea of it being a film that exists in the Toy Story universe also kind of interests me even though it won't really come to anything unless we See another Toy Story movie? Please no. They don't want any more. It's fine. We've had it. But they would probably have a poster for Lightyear 2 or something in the next one. You know, something like that. It wouldn't surprise me, certainly. But there was enough Toy Story before there was more of it. Anyone now is trying to just milk the dried up udders of an elderly cow. That was a Disgusting simile. Don't know where it came from. I apologise. It's done. Although I did quite like the animated show Buzz Lightyear Star Command. That was alright. I didn't actually see that. I saw some of it. I don't remember watching all of it, but I remember quite enjoying it. There was one episode where he has to help Santa. (laughs) I think that was supposed to be, this is the thing that the kids are watching in this universe to encourage them to buy toys. So it's a similar sort of idea. Yeah, I get it. I think it looks really good. The animation looks amazing. Chris Evans' vocal performance, good anyway whatever he does, so I'm looking forward to his take on it. It's interesting that the toys don't sound like him, but let's not overthink it. Yeah, but then again, it is getting to the point where any less of Tim Allen is a good thing. <laughs> I don't know, he's going to be doing that Santa Claus thing on Disney+, Plus, so you'll get plenty of Tim Allen if you want. Yeah, I can take it or leave it. We discussed that last month, so we don't need to discuss it again. Hmm. Okay, our next trailer, we have Nope, Jordan Peele's next thing, which is largely built around a mystery of some kind of killer cloud or something like that. There seems to be some weird connection about the history of the moving image. I don't know how those things connect, but it's another Jordan Peele horror. I really liked Get Out. I was less enthusiastic about, was it Us? Is that what it was called? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't super keen on that one. So this one, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this trailer, really, but I'm certainly intrigued by the mystery. I think it builds itself really well, and it makes me wonder, oh, what's going on here? A popular theory about it is that the title is not just a kind of reaction to some terrifying event and go, nope, 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 nope. But is, is that it's an acronym to, to abbreviate not off planet Earth. All right, okay. Suggesting that there's some extraterrestrial stuff going on. Given the imagery that the trailer has expressed, it is certainly a sound theory. It might just be a coincidence that you could take that expanded abbreviation from it, but nevertheless, some kind of 
alien shenanigans certainly seemed like they're on the cards. Interesting. See, I never do these trailer breakdowns. I never do this frame-by-frame stuff. There's YouTube channels that exist to do that sort of thing. That just ain't me. I just watch a trailer and think, yeah, I'll watch that or not, which is great when you're doing a news podcast where you talk about trailers. People just want to hear me just, yeah, I've watched this trailer once and I have a very small opinion on it based on what I've seen. Yeah, listen, I've watched a trailer once and I will now explain everything I think about this trailer over the next half an hour. <laughs> yeah. That's not what we do here. Yeah, I'm not super into this frame-by-frame stuff because it's one of those things where you... I mean, I don't think you could dissect this and feel like you've seen the film, but there are some films where that does happen. And if you end up immersing yourself in too much in the market and you go and watch the film, you're like, I feel like I've seen this. We'll talk about it later, but Morbius, I think it's not actually coming out. They're just going to release it as trailers and eventually you'll (laughs) piece the whole thing together. If you actually want to watch Uncharted, just watch the trailers. Pretty much the whole film is in there. All the major beats. There's nothing really that interesting in between those major beats that you need to worry about, but it's basically all in there, including the post-credit scene or mid-credit scene. A while back, there was one of Bruce Willis's utterly dire sci-fi action movies that indicated he doesn't care anymore. One that was about sentient androids. I actually can't remember the title of it, which is really annoying. But one of my issues with it was that the trailer actually used the final shot of the film in it. So it was literally telling you how it was going to end. Nice. really just shows that possibly everyone involved in making that film cared about as much as Bruce Willis does. Yeah, save you watching it though, which is good. I thought you didn't, because I'm a masochist like that. That's on you. I don't know any other way to put it. That's your fault. Okay, Mr. Rose McIver. <laughs> I will take that under advisement. Hey, I'm not saying I don't do it. I'm just saying that you do it, and that's on you. Takes one to no one, as they say. Indeed. But yes, I think Nope looks really good. I really like Jordan Peele's filmmaker. I also thought Get Out was fantastic. I didn't like Us quite as much. But I think that was largely just because with Get Out, he had set a bar so high for himself, it was going to be pretty much impossible to clear it in his follow-up. Yeah, I think with Oz, I had a really interesting idea and a really interesting hook, but it didn't take it far enough for me. So I just felt myself a little bit unsatisfied by the whole thing. Yeah, but I think now that people in general have been faintly disappointed by something that he's put out, then the expectations for Nope won't be quite as high. So there's less risk of people going into it and being disappointed purely on the basis of it not being everything they hoped it would be. Fair play, yeah. Okay, moving on. The next trailer is for another horror-ish thing, Men, an Alex Garland movie. He's usually good value. I don't really have much to say about it other than it seems enigmatic and creepy. And I'm wondering what's going on. That's about it. That's all I took from it. To be honest, I think that's pretty much all that we're being allowed to know about it. Even the official synopsis basically just says it's about a woman who goes on this countryside break after her ex-husband dies and things happen. Things happen. So it's like everything about it is being as intentionally vague as possible, which is usually either because what's going on is too complicated to explain without spoilers or there's very little that's actually going on and to explain it would reveal how little is actually going on i'm more inclined to go for the former option because i do think alice garland is quite a talented filmmaker and also a screenwriter as well and jesse buckley is a brilliant actress if nothing else more people need to watch wild rose because that's a great film and she is luminous in it yeah but the whole like really sinister atmospheric folk horror vibe that it's got going on is something that really appeals to me and it's one that I'm going to be specifically looking out for. Alex Garland, I usually like his stuff, whether it's written stuff or directing stuff or both. Ex Machina, great film. That one that Natalie Portman was in. Annihilation. That's the one. That was the Netflix one. Yes. That was okay, but I wasn't hugely 
on board with it. It was just kind of okay. Again, it's the usual Netflix thing, isn't it? This was fine. It needed a bit more work. It was okay. Well, it was actually one over here where it debuted on, on Netflix. In America, it got released in cinemas. When I mentioned this to my brother-in-law, he was actually really annoyed about it because he would much rather have sat at home watching it instead of having to make a specific trip to cinema to go see it. <laughs> That's interesting. For me, it's usually the other way around. If I have to make a specific trip, there's a good chance I'll watch it. Although in this case, I ended up watching it. So sometimes things slip through the net. For every insert name of Netflix movie here, there's a tick tick boom that I'll make an effort to watch and then end up really enjoying. And then there's something like The Old Guard where I sit and watch it and think it was okay, but I could have done with not watching it. So Netflix stuff is a weird spectrum for me. Let's move on to something a bit more blockbustery. We have Jurassic World Dominion. Got a full trailer for that. I'm not keen on this based on what I've seen before. It's drowning in nostalgia, which doesn't surprise me because you've got Colin Trevorrow directing it again, and he did the first one, which I really mm-hmm. hated. The second one was all right. Fallen Kingdom, it was decent enough. Yeah, which was largely because it was directed by a Spanish guy who's really good at horror. Yeah, it's like a haunted house with a dinosaur in it. Exactly. Two brilliant things smashed together. <laughs> in this, we've got a John Hammond voiceover. We've got more similar shots to the first film. You've got the original characters looking significantly older, wearing basically their clothes that they wore in the first film. We've got very pointed reuses of the recognisable musical cues from the first movie. And I'm pretty sure Chris Pratt and Alan Grant I can't remember Chris Pratt's name in these films. It doesn't matter because he's just... Uh, yeah, doesn't matter. But he's going to be the kid that Alan Grant scared in the first film. I am convinced that that is going to come up. Yes, even though that only began as popular fan theory, given that, as you say, this is Colin Trevorrow, that's exactly the kind of crap that he <laughs> he would think would be really funny to include. It looks like there's interesting ideas in here. I'm pretty sure he's going to screw them up, but we'll see. I do just have to say one specific thing that bugged me were the repeated visuals of the dinosaurs somehow living in wintry climates, what with them being cold-blooded at <laughs> all. Because being somewhere like that for too long would literally kill them. Yeah, but science doesn't matter. But so I'm guessing we're just going to quietly ignore it or hand wave it with some genetic engineering nonsense. Doesn't matter. It's whatever. Basically, we're just watching this to see Chris Pratt on motorcycles being chased by dinosaurs. That's why this exists. Exactly. So even having callbacks to the first Jurassic World. The Jurassic Park franchise, there's two kind of good ones in the original trilogy. As in The Lost World, it's pretty good actually, but it's just kind of more of the same but slightly bigger and not as good. The third film is B-movie schlock really, which is not terrible. At least it was only about 90 minutes long, so it's not dreadful. Jurassic World, I just hated it. It's one of those films that makes you wish you were watching the original while you were watching it. In fact, as soon as I got home, I had to watch the original just to cleanse myself of what I'd seen because it had just done so many callbacks. I felt kind of dirty watching it, which is not what you want to feel when you're watching something. Exactly, and quite often all that kind of thing does is just remind you of just how much better the original version was of everything that it's mimicking. Oh, look, there's the big door. Okay, we had the big door. That's great. There's the Gallimimus herd. Great. There's the sweeping score as they approach the island. Oh, yeah, we've seen this. One other aspect of the franchise that I actually did quite like, though, was a CG animated series called Camp Cretaceous. It begins with the events running parallel to Jurassic World. A group of teenagers who end up being stranded on Island Nebula when everything goes to hell, and they just basically have to survive. It's like hostile wilderness full of enormous creatures that want to kill and eat them and also a bunch of variably untrustworthy humans who keep on turning up and it's actually pretty good especially for a series that's very pointedly catered towards a teenage audience but there's quite a lot in it that most people could enjoy. I've never seen that but heard that it exists 
You're the first person I've spoken to, I think, that has actually even looked at it. Season three of it, I think, was there was a new dinosaur that was introduced, which was basically a version of the Indominus Rex. Imagine what the Indominus Rex would look like if its scales were black. It was covered in poison spines, and it was genuinely insane. Sounds a bit like overkill to me, to be honest. Yeah, but it's just the whole horror movie vibe that was coming from it whenever it appeared, which most pointedly was at night during a thunderstorm. Of course. When it could be judiciously and terrifyingly illuminated by pointed flashes of lightning. Cool. Okay. Think about Jurassic World is it didn't lean enough into what it was supposed to be because the big thing was the park is open, people can visit it and something goes wrong and there's loads of people there. What we're supposed to see is people getting attacked while they're in the line for Starbucks and stuff like that, which does happen, (laughs) but it's only one real sequence in the film and it's not enough. But it should have just been utter carnage and chaos. Even if it looked terrible, it would have been one of those, again, little B-movie things. It's just, this is nuts. Got Velociraptor storming people at Burger King. You could have really attacked consumerism in that way, but just so lazy and i feel like this one's going to be lazy in how it handles the connection between dinosaurs and humanity when they try and coexist oh i'm pretty sure it's all going to be painfully superficial and we'll just leave a general feeling of meh pretty much okay moving on we have a quick look at some dc movies we won't discuss batman because as we record it's out in a couple of days but there's quite a lot of batman footage in this but we do have some other notable stuff we get first proper look at the rock's black adam Looks great, even though it's distracting that he looks like The Rock. I'm finding it difficult to see The Rock as being a character anymore because he's just so much himself. But looks great in that role. Get a quick look at Aquaman. He's standing there. Cool. The Flash being The Flash with a Michael Keaton voiceover. Again, cool. All good. Hawkman, get a really good look at him. He looks great. I love that design. Yes, that was a good shot, actually. And you get to see Pierce Brosnan holding a Doctor Fate helmet, which I imagine will be... Mostly what he does. I don't think he'd be wearing it too much. I can't really see him doing much of the mystical or action side of Doctor Fate. It's that old school. Let's hire an actor to play a fully masked character and then have them almost never wear the mask. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's quite interesting. It seems like the plot of Black Adam will show us how he actually ended up becoming a villain in the first place. Just from the flashes of him that we saw, it certainly seems like he's a character who we're expected to empathise with. Like he was betrayed or something like that. It would be along those lines, wouldn't it? Oh, he had to make a choice to take the powers to save someone or to save his kingdom or his wife or someone close to him. And interestingly, between this and the Scorpion King, this would actually be the second time that he has played the ethnically ambiguous ruler of an antiquity kingdom, stated to be a villain, but was actually revealed to me more of a tragic fallen hero, and who was initially very briefly introduced in a, another movie. If you can call it an introduction in Shazam, I suppose. So he wasn't ever actually named in Shazam, was No, he? it was a graphic, essentially, that was shown. So yeah, someone else had this power and they messed it up. It was a very brief mention of Black Adam in that movie. I'm quite looking forward to that. Dwayne Johnson is always fun to watch, even... As you say, it's sometimes hard to separate him from the characters that he's playing. But he is, by and large, someone you can pretty much rest assured you're going to be entertained by one way or the other. You know what you're getting from him. That's the good thing. And I'm really hoping he'll push it a bit further with Black Adam because it sounds like he wants to create something that's really complex and interesting. And you've got the whole Justice Society angle in there, Dr. Fate's in there, Hawkman, etc. So I wonder what it's all going to 
combined to be, really. It's difficult to figure out what they're aiming at with this film. I also, given just how long the, he's been pushing to get this film made, then I think that anything less than he'd be personally satisfied with would not end up being included. because yeah, it was started off as him being the villain in Shazam, and then when The Rock was cast... The thought was, it's going to be a Black Adam movie instead of a Shazam movie because The Rock's in it. And then they just split them off. Shazam can fight Mark Strong instead. It's fine. This doesn't matter. Shazam 2 is going to be pretty off the wall as well. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm guessing they'll have to meet up at some point. Yeah, I think it's inevitable. Possibly having some battle over who is more worthy to wield the power of Shazam. Yeah, yeah, all looks good. Quick flashes at different things. So pretty cool stuff. The Flash movie is definitely coming out. Michael Keaton's definitely in it. I'm keen. To be honest, this is a film that has just languished in development hell for so long. It, it was one that I actually stopped bothering to pay attention to updates <laughs> for because I just think this isn't ever actually going to happen, is it? So I thought there really wasn't much point in actually expending much mental energy on it. And even now that it is a thing that exists and is going to come out, I'm still kind of a bit indifferent to it. Partly because of the whole Zack Snyder Justice League connection. is a whole other thing I don't have the time or energy to go into. So basically, it's something I have absolutely no expectations for whatsoever and so might be pleasantly surprised or might remain utterly indifferent to it yeah watch this space okay our next trailer is the adam project ryan reynolds advising his young self to live a better life i think this is an interesting idea i don't think i've necessarily seen this concept played out very much in things i suppose it crops up in tv quite a lot but not really in film certainly not i've seen but probably has happened and i've just not seen it but it's quite a rare thing also call back to a game that we played during the 100th podcast where we were given the scenario of you can say one thing to your 10 year old self or whatever it was so it's a bit like that and there's a lightsaber in it which is ryan reynolds with more disney ip <laughs> <laughs> after free guy again so it's a thing that he's doing exactly and basically just being paid millions of dollars to play with childhood toys like a big kid yeah you can't fault it this is a Netflix thing I might give it a go I think it looks pretty good based on this I don't really have a lot to say about it it seems pretty cut and dry as to what it's about and it looks fun there's uh, certainly one thing I'm kind of hoping about it is that there'll be some kind of thoughts and discussions on what it would feel like to actually be able to speak to and connect with somebody who you previously lost. I could certainly give it a more emotional depth, which might serve to elevate it a little bit above the goofy childish nonsense, as previously mentioned. Yeah, we'll see. I have no idea. I will maybe watch this. Who knows? I will discuss next month whether I watched it or not, because it's out in the middle of March. So stay tuned. You'll know in a month's time whether I bother to watch it. Yes. Okay, moving on. Firestarter. I've really liked the look of this. I haven't seen the original. I imagine you probably have. I have. It was very okay. Okay. This looks really good. It's obviously about fear of people that are different. There's a bit of puberty thrown in there because that's an obvious analogue for the superpowers developing. I got a bit of a darker X-Men vibe to it, as in powers manifesting and not knowing what to do with them. And then you've got, this person's dangerous. They could irradiate the world or whatever. It's just crazy. Ryan Kira Armstrong is the young girl's name. She looks like she's absolutely nailing it in her performance. She looks like she's doing a really good job here. Mm -hmm. Zac Efron, I'm usually pretty indifferent to. There's nothing in this trailer that suggests that he's good or bad. It seems like he's doing what he's supposed to in the context of that role. Got a bit of a Brightburn vibe from it as well. 
So Brightburn slash X-Men. But it looks really good. I'm really keen to see this and really interested. That was certainly how I interpreted it as well. It seems like the story is being played like a comic book origin story, but it's not entirely clear whether the focal character will turn towards heroism or villainy, and it would likely be the events that she goes through which will push her one way or the other. Is she an innocent victim, a scared little girl, or a sociopath? You'll have to watch and find out. Another thing I was faintly encouraged by was it being a Blumhouse movie. I have a mixed relationship with Blumhouse's output. Because there are ongoing series and shared universe things all relating to The Conjuring I'm not so big on. But there are standalone stuff, things like Happy Death Day or Sweetheart, which are really good films and are very prominent examples of how good a film can be when a director is just allowed to do what they actually want and doesn't have studio mandates and interference to deal with, which is how Blumhouse as a production company oper- operates. Or at least not obvious mandates. There'll be some, surely. There usually is, but it's not so obvious that they've stuck their nose in, I suppose. Also, in this case, with it being an adaptation of a Stephen King novel, there might be certain things that would be expected to be put in there, like uh, certain references or random throwaway things. There are particular things that need to be incorporated just because it's a Stephen King story. It just seems that no adaptation of them can ever be truly divorced from that. Then we'll find out if Stephen King actually likes it or not. Like, <laughs> as he sometimes chimes in, I don't like this adaptation, I'll make my own. <laughs> and it's not very good either. And then we've got Maximum Overdrive. God, that was... <laughs> anyway, that, that's another conversation. Yeah. But yeah, this Firestarter, it's good. I'll watch it, for sure. It's out in cinemas and on the Peacock streaming service, which we'll never get in the UK probably, and thank God, because... We don't need another streaming service. We have too many. It's actually getting to the point now where it's becoming too expensive to keep on top of everything. Yep. Because you just can't afford to subscribe to that many things just to watch everything that I want to watch. Valid. Anyway, moving on. It's a very brief one. We have a Super Bowl teaser for Sonic 2. It was played during the Super Bowl. I think it's the only Super Bowl teaser on our list, actually. Maybe there's a couple others, I'm not sure. But Well, Doctor Strange was a Super Bowl thing as well. But anyway, Sonic 2 or Sonic the Hedgehog 2... You've got Knuckles, you've got the biplane, you've got the big robot, there's a Chaos Emerald, there's a Skybeam, because that's current. Yeah, totally isn't overdone. They don't do them anymore, because it played out, but never mind. I liked Sonic, the first one. I thought it was very, very good. And this one, as a fan of the games, I'm quite excited by it, but I'm also wondering if it's going to be a bit of a TMNT sequel situation, where it's like, let's just throw this all in, and hopefully it'll all be good, and people will love it, because in the TMNT sequel, I forget, it's subtitle doesn't matter but they threw in Krang they threw in the Technodrome they threw in all this other crap and it didn't feed into itself very well so this could be the same problem I really hope not Out of the Shadows was the subtitle you're after yeah it's atrocious yeah yeah, I'm a little concerned that introducing Tails and Knuckles in the same film might end up hampering the plot a bit because they're both going to be, need to be developed and establishing what each of them wants and what they're doing and how they're connected to Sonic. Because it, it sort of seemed like in the stinger for the first movie that Tails was actually searching for Sonic. Or if, if not him specifically, then the energy signature of his powers, if you like. Yeah, unless it turns out he was looking for something else. Uh, it just happened to be there at the same time as Sonic. A Chaos Emerald, maybe. Possibly, yes. I imagine that the Knuckles aspect of it will be pretty much the same as, as it was suggested to be in the game Sonic 3, which has Robotnik basically lying to Knuckles about Sonic's motive and turning him into a weapon against Sonic. And yeah. I would imagine that by the end of the film, when Robotnik will attempt to use a Chaos Emerald to power his 
giant ass robot, then Knuckles will realize that he has been duped and will team up with Sonic to fight against him. And you'll probably get Supersonic as well. That's what they're not showing you. Yes, actually, that's very likely. I'm looking forward to this because, like I say, I thought the first one was way better than it had any right to be. And obviously, there's a lot of issues around the first one in terms of them firing a bunch of animators and changing the design after people saw the trailer and laughed at it. And it's like, okay, we'll actually do the proper Sonic design. Sorry. <laughs> we didn't mean to give you this weird abomination of a character. So it's a bit of a weird one, but and it's water under the bridge now, I suppose. But I do think the first one had a lot going for it. And this one has the potential of a lot more going for it as well. I just hope they're not giving us too much, especially since they're already making us a Sonic 3. And... This is later in the list, but we'll talk about it now. We're going to get a Knuckles spin-off TV series starring Idris Elba voicing the character. So, cool. Yeah, so there's going to be a lot to incorporate into it. I really like the first movie as well. And I certainly think it's one to put in the growing list of actually pretty good video game adaptations. Overall, I'm actually looking forward to this. And Idris Elba's just going to be so cool as Knuckles, isn't he? Yeah, it's going to be good. Perfect voice casting. Knuckles needs to be cool. Who else could you get? Who's any cooler than Idris Elba, really? John Cena. <laughs> I don't know. I don't care about any of the other side Sonic characters. If we get to the point where Shadow appears, I'm just not interested. Just not interested in anything beyond the first three games, really, in terms of Sonic plot. I'm pretty much the same, actually. But yeah, 30-second teaser. We'll see more of it. It's not far away. It's out in April as well, so it's, it's not too far away. I think in the UK it's out the same day as Morbius. Hilarious. Probably <laughs> <laughs> some double bill. <laughs> Maybe they'll delay Morbius because they can't compete with Sonic. Although it's out in 8th of April in the US, so I don't know. We'll see what happens. Maybe they'll do what they did with Venom and Bond and swap them release date wise. <laughs> we'll see. Okay, our next thing is the Orville New Horizons. I'm not sure, but is it the same space battle that was in the last season that forms this teaser? Because it's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah, I was a little suspicious about that, because I haven't rewatched the series at all since the episodes first came out. Nah, me either. I've seen them once. Given like a significant aspect of the plot was the Kalon race deciding that all biological life in the universe should be wiped out. And I'm pretty sure that in the trailer it was Kalon chips that were attacking the Orville. So to basically have that again, it would just seem to be unnecessary repetition. So if it is old footage, that's a really lazy trailer, because half the trailer is also just the opening credits. Just to tell you that it's coming. Which had nothing of note other than a new cast member added to the primary ensemble. Which I didn't even notice, so yeah. The Orville's fine. I would say it's kind of diet Star Trek, but in some ways Discovery's a bit diet Star Trek as well. So I see it as a bit disposable. It's something I could just stick on and just let it wash over me. Which is really low bar of entertainment really, isn't it? When I'm just sitting here praising these things as, yeah, I can sit through this. <laughs> it doesn't offend me in any way. It's fine. It is annoying that it's taking Adrian Palicki away from probably more interesting things. <laughs> Part of the problem was that it took a while to decide actually what it was going to be. Yeah, is it parody or serious? Which is it? Well, it was always intended as a homage to a Star Trek, but it was initially marketed as more of a parody of Star Trek rather than a kind of love letter to it. And the more pointed comedic aspects in the first season didn't really come together that well because it just wasn't as funny as it should have been. I think it was better in the second season when the direct humour was dialed back a bit. And because it started taking itself a bit more seriously, then it allowed the audience to do the same. And I actually enjoyed it quite a bit more in the, in the second season. Particularly when they're incorporating some interesting ideas into it and they're already putting some spins on the established mythos that the first season presented. And so, although I'm tentatively optimistic about it, I think it has the potential to be something really good. Though, I'm just 
really not sure one way or the other if it will actually manage to be that or not. Yeah, I'm not clear either. Again, it's a really low bar, but I'll watch it. It won't bother me in any way, I suppose. It'll just be something that I watch and then I'll be fine. It's coming out. It's going to be on Hulu in June or something. It got pushed back a bit. I think it was initially meant to be released late last year. Kept getting delayed for reasons. Yeah. Okay, our next trailer on Paramount Plus, The Fairly Odd Parents movie. It's a weird live action animation hybrid thing. I have no connection to The Fairly Odd Parents and it's really hard to tell if this is the most daring thing they could make and therefore the best thing ever or the worst thing ever. It's hard to tell. I don't know how to read it. I'm kind of the same. I have absolutely no emotional connection to the series whatsoever. And from what reading about it, it seems to be carrying on a similar basic concept in that the wishes that get made always end up being interpreted literally and not turning out in the way that the person making the wish actually intended. Going back to the whole monkey spot thing. So there's certainly that connection between this series and the cartoon. As for the decision to do it mostly live action and having the characters aged up a bit, I really can't say whether or not that is a good or a bad thing because I really don't know what kind of dynamic that would give it or how that would alter the story in any way. But just looking from the way it's been filmed, it looks like something that was filmed for the Disney Channel. Lots of bright colours, lots of cute smiling teenagers doing over-the-top stuff and getting to mischief and it looks like something that younger people might enjoy. But then again they might be disappointed because it's not a cartoon. Yeah, it's a weird one. It's definitely not for me. That's for sure. That's one thing I can definitely say about it. This will never be watched by me. Yeah, I can't see myself seeing this at all because it wouldn't mean anything to me, really. Yeah. Okay, next thing. Speaking of things I may never watch, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. The reason I don't want to watch this one necessarily is because the second one bored me to tears. It was such a slog to sit through. And the first one's not great either. And J.K. Rowling writes the script and she is... Not a very good scriptwriter. I'm not going to talk about her views that are well known in the public sphere. I'm going to insult her as a screenwriter. She's not a very good one. And she's getting to write these and nobody bothers editing them. So she gets to do what she wants. And the second one, I've said this before on many things, but the second one is just a procession of people going from location to location. And they're just explaining their backstories to each other. That's all that happens until a dull action scene at the end. It's just really not very good and this looks like it could be more of the same i'm sure it'll be more of nothing happening there's mads mickelson instead of johnny depp which is definitely a trade-up i'm left wondering why the newt scamander character is in these at all because it's beyond him now they're crowbarring in the fantastic beasts because that's the franchise heading rather than it being actually organic so yeah i'm not that interested it teases a war that definitely won't happen because we know from harry potter that there was no war between muggles and wizards just didn't happen in the past and it's not something to worry about but that's the problem with any prequel they're just not very good and i don't know if i'll bother wasting my time watching this one nothing about this trailer made me think oh god i've got to see this i am in agreement that rowling is a decidedly mediocre writer and just what you mentioned about the succession of people verbalizing their personal histories it was basically because that's what she thinks character development is and basically just once people have been given a soliloquy of an expository personal info dump then that's all that you need to know about them and nothing else that happens to them in any way changes or develops them in the slightest it's an incredibly boring way of writing it's kind of boring to read and it's even more boring to watch play out on screen because cinema is a visual medium <laughs> and so when you have a plot that's basically people just 
sitting around talking and explaining things. It's just unendurably tedious. Especially when you have magic. It's a world with magic. So why are we listening to these people just chatting? Exactly. And more than that, it's magic with very, very inconsistent and loosely defined rules to it. Therefore, you can do pretty much whatever you want. The only thing that's limiting you is your imagination, of which I would argue Rowling actually doesn't have very much of. I have myriad issues with Harry Potter, unrelated to those views with which she is now more closely associated, which, again, I'm not going to go into, but as a result of that, I have been pretty much indifferent to the entire Harry Potter franchise for quite a long time, and I really don't see this doing anything to convince me to change my mind, specifically with the revelation slash retcon that Dumbledore had a secret other brother played by Ezra Miller, which doesn't actually seem to be relevant to anything that's going on. Despite the fact that it's exactly this that the title is alluding to, there actually wasn't any reference to it in the trailer whatsoever, which would lead me to assume it's going to be a very, very minor part of the plot. And so to give it that kind of focus just seems meaningless, and I really don't exactly know what they're expecting to come to it. It's a bit like in the second one, it was supposed to be about Grindelwald, and then he's hardly in it. He appears a couple of times throughout the film, and then there's some bizarre thing that just connects him and Dumbledore and stuff. It doesn't hang together very well, and I do think that it's going to be a very loose connection to everything here. And to play the devil's advocate, I've said this before as well, I've spoken to Harry Potter fans, people that are bigger fans of the franchise, the world and so on, than I am, and they loved all the lore stuff. They love all the, let's find out this person's backstory, let's find out this and that, and it's great that they're getting that, I suppose, but I, I don't know, I feel like fans of the franchise deserve better than this as well, better quality content, but... If you love it, then sure, go for it. It's just dull and lazy and they're spending too much money on stuff that just isn't very good, as far as I'm concerned. Let's move on to something else that has weirdly, loosely defined magical rules. We have an animated short called Constantine House of Mystery. It might be Matt Ryan's last performance as the character. It might not. Can't see me keep no. him away. I don't want to keep him away, but since he's finished his tenure in Legends, it seems like DC are positioning the character to be taken over by someone else in the future. But this looks pretty cool, I guess. It's just a short. I say just a short. That doesn't diminish it in any way. I did think his voice sounded a bit different to how we'd been used to him, though. That stood out to me. At first I was like, it's, eh, well, it is. Okay. I was actually most distracted by the fact that he actually didn't look like Matt Ryan because the actor and the character have become so interlinked in my mind and to have without the other actually feels a little bit jarring. Also, uh, one thing I was faintly intrigued slash confused by was the suggestion that Constantine's being banished to the House of Mystery in punishment for the existential meddling that he did during Apocalypse War. But it seemed to me that at the end of that film, that entire timeline or universe was basically rebooted out of existence because the war against Darkseid was so devastating that the Earth was slowly going to be destroyed anyway. So they might as well just reboot everything and hope it plays out differently. So to have something that directly carries on from that, it seems to me to not quite tie together properly. You know what these animated things are like, though? They're sometimes connected, sometimes not. Sometimes they just pick and choose. So I wouldn't necessarily look for any kind of absolute canon, I suppose. It just seemed to me to be a bizarre reference to make, and that is one that isn't especially necessary and doesn't seem to make sense anyway. But I'm sure it'll work out in some way because I do have a tendency to like pretty much anything that Constantine's character is in, and this certainly doesn't look to be any different. Yeah, 
And it's a collection with a bunch of other shorts, one starring Blue Beetle and so on. So there's some other content there, but this is the one that they're using to front load it, I guess. This is the banner title with everything else being like, oh yeah, and all these are here too. Just to make you buy the Blu-ray, I suppose, so that you don't spend all your money on one short <laughs> lasts about 10 minutes. Yeah, I guess because that would just be unreasonable. And there is absolutely no way that DC would expect you to shell out a huge amount of money for, for one thing that you might be disappointed by. No, they're not that sort of company. They would never do that. <laughs> Next trailer is Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. A short teaser, just gives you a bit of a sense of how it'll look. It looks similar enough to the movies while being different enough. It weirdly looks expensive and cheap at the same time. A bit like the Hobbit movies, I guess, which <laughs> is a bit jarring because you've got the practical armour and stuff like that and then some ropey CGI here and there. So I'm really looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to the expansion of the Middle-Earth chronology. Amazon are spending serious money on this and it's going to dig into different parts of lore. So hopefully it won't just be people riding on horseback and then talking about their backstories and then riding on horseback to another location <laughs> and talking about their backstories. And then they get on an eagle and fly somewhere else and talk about their backstories. Let's hope it's not that. But yeah, cool. And then don't forget, lots of running across fields as well. Yeah, there'll be lots of that. Sweeping helicopter shots of people running across fields. Yes. That's what we get from this. But yeah, Lord of the Rings on TV, kind of streaming TV. Cool. I haven't actually read any of the material that expands the Middle-earth lore and history, because like most people, I've actually only read The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. So any story beyond that is going to be largely new to me, which I actually think is going to make it more interesting, because there aren't going to be specific things I'll be waiting for, or kind of looking out for, or possibly disappointed because it didn't play out in the way that I expected. It does look absolutely spectacular. And in terms of... Actors, uh, I'm most looking forward to seeing Morpheth Clark as Gladriel. I saw her in, in a horror film a couple of years ago called Saint Maud, where she was this very pious healthcare worker who might or might not have had something tragic happen to her in her recent past, and may or may not have some kind of powers that are becoming the focal point of this supernatural storm, and may or may not be literally hearing the voice of God. It was a brilliant film, and she was exceptional in it, and quite looking forward to seeing what else you can do. Cool. It's out in September, so that's not too far away, actually. It's going to be quite the undertaking, it seems. Lord of the Rings on TV. Who'd have thought it? When they were making those films and they almost didn't get made as a trilogy, who'd have thought that we'd be sitting here? So many years later thinking... My God, there's going to be a thousand seasons of this. <laughs> okay, let's move on to Morbius. We have the final trailer. There isn't a lot here that isn't mean in the other trailers. It's coming out on 1st of April, maybe. We don't know. It might get delayed again because that's what happens to this film. It's like what we're saying about New Mutants. So it's some kind of tax write-off, <laughs> isn't it? It doesn't actually exist. They just filmed the trailer and then they've just left it. And there's more Michael Keaton in this. I do think it actually looks pretty good. And I like the idea of vampirism being a curse that he needs to battle. And it's almost a shame that Morbius isn't going to be part of any Spider-Man thing that we know of. There are rumours that Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield might turn up. Yes, but there are always those kinds of rumours. And then when they don't, it will be, yeah, whatever. Never expected it in the first place. I know people sort of decry the Sony Spider-Verse thing that they're doing, and I understand why. But also at the same time, if Spider-Man was outright owned by Marvel slash Disney, we wouldn't be getting Venom movies. We wouldn't be getting Morbius movies. We'd be getting these characters sort of folded into the main films because the competition means that they can release more of this stuff around about the same time as other stuff, which may or may not be a bad thing. 
But at the same time, it's good that they have the opportunity to throw these things together. And some of them make more sense than others. There's one that we'll talk about later that might not make that much sense. But at least Morbius can exist on his own because very little of his origin and backstory is actually related to Spider-Man. I know he first appeared in a Spider-Man comic, but you can remove that connection pretty easily. Much more easily than you can with Venom, actually. And it is a shame that him and Blade will probably never get to interact because of their long-standing relationship in the comics. But this looks fine. And I know a lot of people are put off by Jared Leto, which I'm sure you're about to tell me that you're one of. (laughs) I get it. I get why. But at the same time, I think that he's probably going to do a good job at this because when he puts his A-game into something, he's generally very good as an actor. So maybe this is it. I wonder what weird stuff he was doing on set. He only films at night. He only sleeps while hanging upside down. Only drinks blood, that kind of stuff. How absolutely dare you preempt my carefully prepared smart comments about my utter indifference to Jared Leto as an actor. <laughs> I don't have any specific issue with this film in and of itself. It looks fine, it looks okay. Though there's not really any great deal about it that I haven't seen it in two dozen other vampire movies. Very little of what we've seen so far is actually serving to give it any kind of distinction. If it weren't for the main character simply being Michael Morbius, it could very easily just be renamed something else, name the character something different, and the film itself would be largely unchanged. I will watch this when it comes out, and I will do my very best to remain impartial. as to its objective quality, but I'm just really not feeling anything special about it at all. Yeah, you're right. It's a vampire film. A vampire trying to be a superhero film. It's those two kinds of things, and the trailer makes it look like it's following familiar beats of both, which is fine, I suppose, but we've we've had that in various other guises before. But at the same time, we can't really decry anyone for making something that isn't necessarily original because how many times have we seen stuff where it's just yeah seen this all before but i still liked it we'll soon find out maybe unless it gets delayed again <laughs> which would make me laugh i think it's had more release dates than new mutants now which is good which is also quite an achievement as well yeah although black widow ended up having more release dates than new mutants actually didn't become the butt of a joke in the same way <laughs> okay before our final trailer what i'm going to do is i'm going to call in some assistance from our resident rescue ranger to discuss the trailer for Chippendale Rescue Rangers. I put out the call and Aaron answered. Welcome, expert of Chippendale Rescue Rangers, for discussing a trailer. Welcome. Howdy. But I don't know that I'm going to qualify as an expert on something that happened to me 35 years ago. So if anybody is expecting me to actually stand up to that introduction, I don't know that it's going to work, but I do my best. Under promise and possibly over deliver. We'll find out in the next few minutes. This is what you get for picking Gadget Hack Wrench as your character to be potentially thrown out an airlock during a game we played on our Two Hunters podcast. It's just convenient that the trailer released a few days after. I think Disney must have timed it, actually, following that, just to ride that hype train. Although, disturbingly, very little of Gadget in the actual two-minute clip. Do you know, I literally just watched the thing and I'm thinking, hang on a minute, was there one shot with her in it on the left? And maybe there was, but didn't speak. There was hardly anything in it at all. So if they're teasing me with 
you can have Chip and Dale back, but you can't have Gadget. That would be massively disappointing. <laughs> was it very much the two of them and then she was essentially their sidekick? Because the show was called Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers, right? It was called that, you're right. But they were always a team. There was five of them and they were always there in every episode. She just wasn't on the letterhead. And neither was Monterey, neither was Zipper. But okay. They meet them all pretty quickly. You get like an introductory episode and people are just grabbed and brought into it. You never really get the feeling it's Chip and Dale and then other people turn up later because the ratings were crazier. I couldn't actually tell you why they got the top slot because I was so young at the time. Looking back on it, I'm going to assume that Chip and Dale were there beforehand and then they got given extra people. In fact, I'm actually on the Wikipedia now. It seems like, yeah, the characters, Chip and Dale, have always existed but they got given three extra people to make a good show. Okay, so it's kind of a spin-off of other things that they've been in, almost. Although, to be perfectly honest, seeing as I'm just doing my information grab now on this, because there's a tight question for you that only an expert could get, or somebody with Wikipedia. Chip and Dale, 1947. So I'm not convinced that Chip and Dale Rescue Rangers was trying to capture the original Chip and Dale fan base. From what was that forty years difference? But then again, yeah. what am I? Maybe they were actually because now I'm just realised I'm talking back thirty-five years myself. It's a bit of Disney recycling things that they already have. They did that with Blue the Bear. He was in some combat pilot show. I forget what it was called. That was weird. Combat pilot? No, I don't know it. No. All of a sudden, I thought you were talking about something else there, which just flashed in my head. But that was um, spin. Oh no! But sorry, tail totally spin maybe. Tail something spin, like, yeah. which is totally different. It just happened okay. to have a plane in it. No, okay. Yeah. But Blue was a fighter pilot spitfire pilot something like that i remember that and yeah what's he doing here he was in the jungle book that's very strange Mm. that's disney for you i suppose they just repurpose but this is in itself a repurpose it is sort of behind the music type situation where the chippendale show is a real tv show and they are real actors that were in the tv show it's along the lines of Roger Rabbit, who also appears in this trailer, where animated characters are actors in this universe, or in Looney Tunes Back in Action, which is a film I really like. The animated characters are actors in this universe, and they play their part in things, and they're doing that, and there's talk of CGI facelifts and modernisation and falling out of favour popularity-wise, that kind of stuff. So what did you think of this as a concept? As someone that watched this 35 years ago, there could be some lean towards trying to get you interested in it by acknowledging this is an old thing that we're doing something with. Yeah, trying to create their own Looniverse. Everybody wants a universe, or Roger Rabbit-verse. It's possibly a popular thing, but I honestly don't know who this is aimed at. I mean, it's only two minutes, this trailer, so there's not much to go on, but I'm thinking, is this, is this for kids? New kids? Or is it something that kids can watch with their parents but hang on a minute it's almost 40 years gap so is it something kids can watch with their almost grandparents there's some jokes that are not sure that they're adult jokes but equally you're thinking would kids really get that would it really be funny to them and i was left with the same response myself i'm thinking this is a bit crazy and weird i don't know i don't know if i like it or not i'm really not sure i might (laughs) like it but at the moment, I'm just slightly disturbed. So I, I actually don't know if I like it or not. There was one gag that I thought was hilarious that really caught me, which is the Indiana Jones gag. Yeah, that was funny. Kids wouldn't get that. So again, who's the same? For me, that's the whole trailer. It, it is actually quite a good teaser because 
it's left me completely dazed and confused, but wanting to know more because I just have to know. Whether I like the film or not is almost irrelevant because that's not the job of a teaser. So I'd say it's a successful teaser, but honestly, I'm just not sure. I like the Uncanny Valley gag. That was quite funny. The things look real, but just a little bit not right or whatever the line was, something like that. I thought that was quite funny. But again, yeah. Kids aren't going to really understand what you mean by that. Yes. There's quite a lot of jokes in along those lines because they go to one place in the Looniverse and they see this. And then there's the, you've had a makeover, you've had a, I can't remember what he calls it, but he's effectively had a body lift. You know, it's CGI facelift, CGI yeah. makeover or something. Like, I think it's actually just called something like that. Yeah. That's not funny to kids. Plus also it's calling back to something that the kids can't have seen. Because even Chip who's not had the CGI lift, doesn't look exactly the same as he used to. So you, you have to understand that it's an adult joke that, oh yeah, this used to be a cartoon from my childhood and the animation style was different decades ago. It's not a kid's joke. Maybe it's not. Roger Rabbit was pretty grown up. And that's why I wondered, what is it just another, that's a bit harsh actually to put it that way, is it trying to capture the humour that was given to us in Roger Rabbit, which was great. It's an acknowledged good film. It's a confusing one because I don't have any real connection to Chippendale, the original show. I also don't have much in the way of connection to what they're on about here. There's plenty of IP cameos in here and you see a bit of Aladdin and Roger Rabbit, as we mentioned. There's little nods to different things that show up throughout. So it seems like they're throwing a lot at it. It got a bit of a Space Jam vibe to it in that mm. way. It's certainly the new one in terms of the let's throw references at the audience and hope they'll laugh at them, which may work or may not. But it's also not the first attempt to do something like this. Obviously, nothing is the first attempt to do anything anymore, mm. it seems. But there's a really good Simpsons episode called Behind the Laughter, which frames The Simpsons as if it's a TV show that is being filmed and they talk about the family splitting apart and things like that. So I get that kind of vibe from it because it's this behind-the-scenes Hollywood thing about let's catch up with Chip and Dale, the Rescue Rangers, who were a popular TV show and now they're washed-up celebrities, maybe. Yeah, and you say they're throwing a lot of money at it. I haven't seen much online about it, but I am looking at the list of people that have got a role in this somewhere. There's quite some names in it. I'm slightly not surprised at all, but I'm also slightly surprised I haven't heard more about any of the older cast coming back. It doesn't really matter. You don't really need them to come back. But it's one of those things that if you're going to try and get me all nostalgic, I would quite like to know. Because clearly, Chip, Noop, Dale, Noop, the actress that played Gadget, I say play, that voiced Gadget, is on the list as coming back but not specifically as Gadget. And she's clearly not voicing Chip, as I say, because that's somebody else. Anybody could play Zipper. But yeah, I'd, I'd quite like to maybe hear if Tress McNeil is coming back as Gadget. Maybe that's not been decided yet, actually. I don't know what the turnaround time on these things is. Well, it's out pretty soon, isn't it? It's May, isn't it? Well, yeah, in that case, it must be done by now. It must be in editing. It must be pretty much ready to go by this point. But it, it's quite a big thing in Fraggle Rock that's coming back. It was a big deal. Look at all these people we've got coming back from the original Fraggle Rock. I think that's one of the selling points. I'm guessing she's still alive. Tress McNeil is on the cast list for right. this show. It's just that she's not been assigned to play Gadget. Maybe it's because I'm looking at the wrong webpage. It, it is that obvious. But it is a bit of a shame, I think, if they... Oh, let's give all the famous people the starring roles. 
And then the person that was part of the original setup, you can just play waitress number four. <laughs> Bit of a shame. Could be one of those things where it's a deliberate nod and a wink to the audience. Here's the original voice. Yeah, it's an Easter egg, and you're lucky if you get it. I'm not such a fan that I know exactly what was. I had to look it up, but I've not seen anybody else marked as the original. I've no idea if Monterey Jack's voice actor is even alive, so yeah, maybe they're not. But based on this, do you think you'll watch this and try and rekindle some of those vague nostalgic memories you seem to have of this show enough to bring her into a spaceship anyway that's about to lose one person to be perfectly honest i need to see more of this so at the moment i am on the i am definitely going to watch this because i need to see what they've done with it am i going to be watching it to try and rekindle that old vibe no this is nothing like the old cartoon at all this is going to be Roger Rabbit, this is going to potentially be something for the adults to watch. I can't see how they could possibly make this into the five of them get back together again to save a real little girl's cat. (laughs) Why why would you do that? It's going to be more like there's a problem with the Roger Rabbit verse and we need to fix it. And look at all the strange cartoon characters that have been given another CGI uplift. We must save them all. So I'm, I'm not expecting to connect with the show at all. But it looked so crazy and had sufficient humour in it that I thought, I just need to know. I don't understand. I'm left a bit dizzy, but I need to know. So what we'll do is we'll make sure to get your thoughts onto a future news one, whether it just means a recording button or it might just conveniently be your month when it comes out. We don't know. Fair enough. (laughs) Definitely get your thoughts on it just to follow this up. Sure. Yeah, fair play. But anything else about this trailer before I let you get back to your daily saving of people i think given that we had two minutes 12 seconds we've done pretty well to talk about it oh i'll tell you what things you've asked us out more than i have seen that they've got paula abdul de-aged to come back in as herself i know how much you love de-aging so i think (laughs) maybe we should definitely get that in there as a a soundbite there you go yeah that song opposites attract is that the song title where she's Singing and dancing with a cartoon cat. I mean, yeah, it's like a, it's a freebie. It's a free, fun thing for them to do. Again, I'm kind of on board, but I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know if I watch this, but I do quite like those worlds where animated characters exist alongside human characters. At least in principle, Roger Rabbit, as you say, right. is very good. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I seem to remember it being quite dark. It's very not what you would expect. <laughs> This is what I mean. That's what I'm thinking when I look at this. Because you get that Roger Rabbit connection and vibe, you're thinking this is not a kid's film. And there's all sorts of weird stuff about Roger Rabbit that we can talk about some other time. Really? Yeah, and it's weird that he's in this because he isn't actually owned by Disney. It's some weird shared partnership thing, but... What you've just stumbled across is the equivalent of Marvel and Sony coming together to create their verse. Yeah. So Disney and whoever owns Roger Rabbit will be coming at Warner Brothers, and they're coming together to create the Looniverse. And to make it happen, Disney will have to purchase Warner Brothers. <laughs> what? Is this what you're saying? I don't know if I want that. <laughs> Disney also owning all the DC characters. Can you imagine? Mm-hmm. Probably not a great idea, but never mind. So... I do like those kind of things. I thought Looney Tunes Back in Action was really funny with Brendan Fraser and so on. I thought it was a good one. Space Jam, the first one, I watched it when I was young and liked it. Not so much as an adult. Space Jam, the second one, all right. I think that's about it in terms of these things. You get the odd thing where animated characters will cross over with not animated characters in different things. They'll occasionally do it as a stunt episode in some random TV show and things like that. I think Stewie Griffin was in Bones once, for example. <laughs> Yes. 
I don't know how, I don't know what the context of that is, but he was. Somebody must have been high on some various chemicals. But they crossed it over with Sleepy Hollow, which is a supernatural-based show against a science-based show, so anything goes, I suppose. I know I could happily talk about that one too, but we won't do that here. Yeah. Anyway, I will let you get back to your canvassing your respective neighbourhood looking for stray cats to save and things. Fair enough. Okay. Thank you. And we're back. Our final trailer, we're going to talk about Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. There was a teaser during the Super Bowl, but also a full trailer released basically at the same time. There's a lot in here. We'll not go into too much detail because it's all on YouTube. Go find some trailer breakdown. It's all there. I listened to a podcast called The Weekly Planet, run by Mr. Sunday Movies. He did a really good trailer breakdown. I'll put it in the show notes. Just watch that. But what I'll say is my view on it is Sam Raimi looks like he's having an absolute blast with this. I think he's the right person to direct a film like this. It looks nuts. It looks visually all over the place in a good way. I don't mean it looks terrible. It looks visually very out there and very abstract and all that stuff. We've got alternate Doctor Strangies. Wanda's there. Charles Xavier may be there, played by Patrick Stewart, who had a great response to it where he says, people have been imitating my voice for decades. (laughs) He's doing an Andrew Garfield. Who has a wonderful non-answer. Yeah. Are you in this film? People have been imitating my voice for decades. You're not answering the question, sir. It's like, no, I'm here to talk about Picard season two. Stop asking me about this Marvel movie that I may or may not be in. So there's that. And what I will say is, when it comes to revealing that in the trailer, I know Marvel well enough, and they don't have Sony battling them on this one mm-hmm. over what they can and can't show you in the trailer. So if... Xavier, and it turns out to be Xavier, is in this trailer. That probably means they're hiding something way bigger than that, or things that are way bigger than that. It's got to be a swan song for the character, right? He's 80-odd years old, and it won't be the same Xavier, but when you're watching the X-Men movies, can you count on it being the same Xavier between films? No, you can't. The continuity of the X-Men films is so screwed up that even the writers stop bothering even trying to keep it straight. Yeah, the current film is kind of in continuity with the last film that you watched, except from Logan, which is not in continuity with any of them as far as we know. Who cares? Just watch the film. I think that including that in a trailer was a very deliberate choice. Of course, yeah. Just as deliberate as what we weren't shown about that scene as it was what we heard. So I'm not wishing to go into too much detail about it, but one thing I'm pretty sure about it is that it's not Patrick Stewart playing Charles Xavier, because that is the most obvious conclusion, and it's the one that Marvel can safely assume everyone is going to immediately leap to. And because of that, it's something that they know people will be going into the movie expecting and pretty much assuming is going to happen, to the extent that it would be tantamount to basically telling them ahead of time this is going to happen, which I really don't think it's something that they would do. He's playing Ralph Boner's dad, Jeff Boner. <laughs> so I think it's going to be something far more convoluted than that. That will certainly tie into the whole multiverse thing. And even if it's not, the approach that Marvel seems to be taking with the multiverse is very similar to what DC were doing with the Arrowverse. As in, we're just going to have fun bringing back these different versions of these characters, but they aren't necessarily going to be the version of the characters that you're going to be dealing with from here on out. So in theory, we can have a bit of fun with bringing back the X-Men from the Fox universe, but they aren't going to be the MCU X-Men. They're going to be something else. So that means we can still introduce our Xavier and our Jean Grey and whoever else. We can do all that. So there's that possibility. And we've got the Illuminati. Obviously, we don't see too many of them. We don't see any of them, actually. And there's the persistent rumour that Tom Cruise will be turning up as the superior Iron Man, which is something I'd be okay with seeing. Although 
I don't want to see a sleek Tom Cruise Iron Man. I want to see it as if they'd made it in the 90s. So he's in a big fridge, essentially, which is what it would have been. That's what I'd rather see than the sleek silver armor, whatever it would be. Because the superior Iron Man is its almost a symbiote, techno-symbiote type situation. Yeah. That's what I'd like to see. Just Tom Cruise in a big 90s fridge Iron Man suit, because that's what it would have been. I want to see that instead. And we've also got some very prominent shots of America Chavez, which I think is actually kind of an inspired choice to include in this film, actually. Yeah, well, it feeds into what she does in the comics. That way, with mention hopping being one of her powers, and that shot of her leaping through the air while pulling back a punch is quite a popular Im- image of her. And you see Wanda fighting a version of Captain Marvel, probably. Whether it be Maria Rambo or Monica Rambo, we don't know, but she's fighting someone of that power ilk. There's multiple Wandas, there's multiple Doctor Stranges, there seems to be a cartoon universe. And the strong suggestion that Wanda might be the villain here, oh yeah, there's some Ultron bots as well, which is fine, I suppose. I'm really interested to see what they're going to do with Wanda in this film, because positioning her as a villain could be a really fascinating development for her. And you've got that line in the trailer where she says, you break the rules and become a hero, I do it and I become the enemy. We're supposed to feel really sorry for Wanda because she's held to a different standard, but she enslaved a town for selfish reasons. Regardless of whether we understand why she did that or not, that's what she did. That's going to make you a villain, really. That's going to make people see you that way. And then was last seen trying to figure out how to use the power of the Darkhold to basically rewrite the fabric of the universe. Yeah, so we'll see what happens there, whether it's a different Wanda that's a villain, whether it's this Wanda that's a villain, whether there's a villain at all, who knows. There's all sorts of things you can throw out. There's plenty of cameos that have been teased and suggested and rumoured. And The rumour is that the reshoots, they were actually designed to line up with the schedules of people doing cameos, so we'll see different bits and pieces of it. There's Ryan Reynolds denying that he's in it, but he's probably in it. Mm-hmm. You've got the Captain Carter shield in the poster. There's all sorts of stuff. And I know some people are worrying about how busy this film's going to be and how much it seems to be happening in it and things like that. I was worried about that with Spider-Man. I was just going to say, yeah. But with Spider-Man, they really pulled it off for me and I didn't feel like it was overstuffed as such. I do have my issues with No Way Home that you can hear in a very long podcast between me and Chris (laughs) picking it apart. But generally, I think they managed to fit it all together really well. So I'm not worried about Doctor Strange in that respect. I think that they'll surprise people that have their doubts about how busy this is going to be. Marvel have certainly proved on several occasions that an overabundance of featured characters needn't be to the detriment of telling a coherent story as long as the focal points remain consistent and they aren't allowed to be overshadowed by everything that's going on around them. Yeah, so what cameos would you like to see of Marvel of old? David Tasselhoff as Nick Fury. Yeah, I hope he's on the Illuminati. That would be amazing. Or the Samuel L. Jackson Nick Fury has been the the Illuminati the whole time. It'd be hilarious. Yeah, I knew about the multiverse back during Iron Man time. (laughs) I just didn't tell anybody. And Dolph Lundgren as the Punisher. Yeah, okay. Nick Cage's Ghost Rider. I want to see that. I want to see him back. Let's further back into the obscurity of the Dark Ages of the 90s. I'd quite like to see the version of Doc Strange from What If? The, the one who basically devoured every magical entity and demon and celestial being in an entire universe. It looks like he's there, though. It looks like that from the trailer. That that's him. I'm not too sure about that, because it seemed to be more malevolent than I would have expected him to be. Things change. He's changed his clothes as well, but people do that occasionally. I, I don't know. I don't have any specific cameo wishes. I'd love to see Chris Evans' Human Torch appear and someone be, oh, hi, Steve. And he's like, what are you talking about? And then he says, flame on. That would be fun. It'd be like a similar situation to when the Arrowverse did 
crashes on the infinite earths and Brandon Routh was playing double duty as Ray Palmer and Kingdom Come Superman. There are so many actors who have played multiple characters throughout the various comic book movies, annoyingly none of which I can immediately <laughs> call to mind because yeah. that's how this works, obviously. Of course. But I think playing with, with that kind of thing of I mean, people who obviously look the same but are supposed to be entirely different people, it's, it's just a really fun idea to play with. Yeah, the multiverse is fun for that reason and that's why they keep playing with it, I suppose. That's why they're bringing back Michael Keaton's Batman and putting him in the same film as Ben Affleck's Batman. They probably want to interact. I don't want to see any more for this film, though. I feel like I've seen enough. Just let me ruminate on everything you've given me so far and then let me see the film in May and then we'll be fine. Yeah, it works for me. So we did it. We left the trailers. We have left the trailer park. There is no trailer park. We are not talking about trailers anymore. Well done. We got through all of that. Yay. Now... Onto another page and a half of news items that we've put together here. So, as always, we'll start by going around our pillars of Neil Before Pod. We'll start with Marvel. It's not quite MCU stuff, just anything that falls under the Marvel banner we are putting under this banner now. So, the first two are casting announcements for the bizarrely conceived Craven the Hunter movie starring Aaron Taylor Johnson. We have two more casting announcements. One is Russell Crowe in an as-yet-unknown role, but it's probably his dad. And the other one is Fred Hechinger, or Hechinger, I don't know how you pronounce his name. He's reportedly going to be playing the chameleon who is Craven's brother in the comics, as it eventually turned out. Because you can't have two Russian characters in comics and not have them be related in the 60s. It's not possible. Oh, God, no. <laughs> because, as everyone knows, 60 years ago, there were only about three dozen people in Russia, so it sounds reason they were all related to each other. Yeah, I'm fairly certain this version of Craven won't be Russian, which might end up proving unexpectedly prescient, given the <laughs> state of the world at the moment. But yeah. it's also removing one of those characters. I don't know, maybe Aaron Taylor-Johnson will do a riff on his Quicksilver accent, which would be questionable to Hilarious. say When I was talking about earlier, you can break the link between Morbius and Spider-Man more easily. I don't think you can with Craven because I'm wondering what's interesting about him after Spider-Man's not there. I know that he was supposed to be the villain in Black Panther at one point. That was thrown around, but it didn't happen, obviously. Probably because Sony said, <laughs> no, we want to make a mediocre film with him as a lead in a few years. So I'm not sure why this is getting made. These two actors, fine. I've never seen this Fred Hessinger guy in anything, I don't think. There's a couple of things that I've seen him in. One was a kind of comedy-ish drama series on Netflix called The White Lotus, which is about a bunch of guests at a tropical hotel. It's basically a week of chilling, but as things go on, things get a bit weirder and darker. He was the son of one of the central characters, and he didn't do much in that. But far more prominently, he was in Netflix's Fear Street trilogy. And most recently, Pam and Tommy on Disney Plus as well, or Hulu, depending where you are. Yeah, which I don't really have that much interest in watching. To be honest, it was a principal thing, because I think there's just something a bit screwed up about making a story revolving around a woman's privacy being violated in the most public manner possible, which was made without the participation or agreement of said woman. So they're basically violating privacy again, which conceptually just seems messed up to me. Yeah, there's issues of consent there. But anyway, the Fear Street films were actually really, really good. As imitations of the styles of slashers and horrors that are inspired by was done really, really well. And his character, most significantly in the first one, was part of the central ensemble and wasn't just there to make up the numbers, but was actually a proper character who you genuinely felt for and were fearful of having to 
see die. So just on, on, the, on the basis of that, he certainly is a decent enough actor, so got no reason to think that it would be anything less than that in his role as Chameleon. And also, as Chameleon, there is the possibility of him actually playing multiple characters by the very nature of who Chameleon is, so it could be interesting to see what he does with it. Yeah. Not enough is really known about how this is going to be. He might not even be the Chameleon, he might just be... Craven's brother, who just happens to be the same name as the guy who was the chameleon. I don't know, but that's happening. Those two are casting it, so this thing is definitely happening. It's out next January, apparently, according to Variety, so not far away. Crazy. And speaking of crazy, we have some casting for another weird Spider-Man offshoot thing. They are making a film about Madam Web, and they have cast Dakota Johnson in the lead role It's unclear which version of Madam Web she'll be playing, but considering her age, it seems to be more likely to be the Julia Carpenter version, which probably means that she'll end up having spider powers as well as psychic powers, because otherwise, what can you do with the psychic powers? Really interesting stuff, but Sony aren't known for doing really interesting stuff. So (laughs) I imagine they'll have just a psychic with spider powers. But who knows? What is this film? Again... How do you break the link between Madam Web and Spider-Man? That's pretty much echoing my thoughts on the matter. It's far more likely she's going to be playing Julie Carpenter. Although I imagine that Cassandra Webb will actually be featured in, in the film, though will likely be killed off fairly early and, and transfer her powers to Julia, like she did in the comics. Yeah. Unless they do a young Cassandra Webb story, which is also possible. Yeah, Possibly. I just don't think that there's really much to be from a story like that. You're probably right. It's just a very odd bit of news. And after you looked at it from what seems to be the only logical angle, you're left thinking how and why and what? There's your mistake. You're applying logic to Sony and those two things don't <laughs> match. I don't know what the angle will be here. Without spider powers, without Spider-Man, it's just a story about a weird psychic. What will they do about the web of reality and all that stuff she can perceive? Will she be the weird cosmic alien being like she was in the 90s Spider-Man cartoon, which was a pretty <laughs> radical departure from the comics at the time? That was actually my introduction to the character. And then later on, I read the comics that she was in, and I was thinking, this is absolutely nothing like the Madam Web that I encountered in the cartoon, so this is weird. Yeah, there's lots to draw on, I suppose. I'd quite like the cosmic alien being thing. That would be an interesting one. But if Dakota Johnson's agreed to do it, it suggests that there might be something to it, because she tends to pick decent projects. Although we said the same about Tom Hardy, and Venom was only just okay. So who knows? Maybe, like Tom Hardy and Venom, she just thinks this will be fun. Or maybe it's just a lot of money. Maybe that's what it is. There is also that factor to it, yes. I'm going to do this Drek, but I'll get paid a lot of money. The Stanley Tucci approach. I remember at the Edinburgh Film Festival, it was an in-person with him, and he was talking about the reasons he picks roles. It's, well, this can be really challenging, or this is something I haven't done before, or, wow, that's a lot of money. <laughs> Those are some of the reasons that you might decide to take on a role. So maybe Dakota Johnson's the same. Maybe she has a summer house she wants to pay off. I don't know. There's nothing to go on here. It's just a weird bit of casting news and a weird reveal that they're making this thing. So, very strange. Not much more to say about that. No, not at all. Let's move on. We have some small details about the updated X-Men 97 cartoon. It's going to be called X-Men 97, despite the fact the cartoon began in 1992. But never mind. It's just a couple of little bits of details. I believe they're looking at 10 episodes for the first season that's going to come out mid-next year. They're starting it soon after hours ended. 
powers being, I guess, the original showrunner. They want it to be an extension of X-Men the Animated Series. Whoever is doing the new show is going to make it their own, no matter who's involved in it. There's great love and affection and respect from an entire group of people that are doing this show. So it's going to be a continuation, which we already knew. I'm conflicted about this because I did like the 90s X-Men cartoon. Of course I did. I loved watching it when I was of the age where I was supposed to be watching it. But I think if it was brand new now, this isn't that good. It's kind of naff. And continuing, it doesn't really need done. It ends quite definitively. Spoilers for this ancient cartoon. But it ends with the X-Men cutting off the shackles of Professor Xavier. He leaves them to go live with his alien girlfriend and then says, you're ready now. You don't need me anymore. You're graduated. Or I think that's maybe even the line. So they're Hmm. ready to act on their own without him. And that's it. Do we need to see more of this? Probably not. Can we not just get a new cartoon and just update the theme song? Just use it again. I would certainly like that because the theme music was amazing. The best thing about it, some might say. I did rewatch some of the series a few years ago after Jana found the entire series on DVDs at a pound shop in Livingston Shopping Centre. I have that box set. Really fat box set. Yeah. Some of it, yeah, it's really cheesy. Everything about it screams 90s. But I, I would assume that the people who are going to be behind this new series are going to be people who loved it when they were kids. So they're certainly going to want to do it justice. But at the same time, they're likely to be conscious of the fact that if it was exactly the same, then it wouldn't quite work because of how people's perceptions of comic book adaptations are nowadays, which are radically different to how they were in the 90s. So I would certainly hope that they would be able to update it enough that the more cheesy aspects of it would be diluted to become a bit more palatable, but at the same time still feel like a continuation of the original series. I'm not certain just how viable such an undertaking would actually be, but as I said, I'm, I'm kind of hopeful for it. Yeah, I'm not bursting to see those versions of the characters back again, that's the thing, because they're not distinct enough to really need to see how they develop. Like I say, just make an X-Men cartoon, but use that theme music and do your own thing, rather than having to sponge off something else that came before. It is a pure nostalgia-driven decision, isn't it? People like the... 90s cartoon because they remember that theme song by and large. I imagine if you ask a lot of people to try and remember what actually went on in the show, they might struggle. And it was contemporary with the 90s Spider-Man cartoon, which was also very good, but that didn't end definitively. And I want to see more of that actually. But at the same time, it's been and it's been done. Just give me different Spider-Man content, which they're doing. They're giving us the Tom Holland Spider-Man's origin story, but in animated form. Do I want to see that? Probably not, to be honest. But at the same time, I'm always keen to see more Spider-Man adaptations. Although, give me season three of Spectacular Spider-Man. It'll never happen, but give me it. Yes. Because that is definitely incomplete and needs more, but never mind. Because that was just magnificent. Yeah, it was spectacular, as the title suggested. Yes. We'll see more of what this X-Men cartoon morphs into as it appears. If they're going to be starting at mid-next year, it'll probably be the end of this year we start to see at least pictures of it, I suppose. And if nothing else, the 90s X-Men cartoon did have what is so far the best ever on-screen adaptation of Dark Phoenix. This is true. Granted, that's a pretty low bar to clear, but it's nevertheless an objective fact. The cartoon Wolverine and the X-Men did an okay Phoenix storyline as well. That was a pretty good one. Give me season two of that. That was good. (laughs) Use the theme music, I don't care. The last time we heard that theme song in a modern X-Men thing, it was someone's ringtone in The Gifted in the first episode. I've forgotten that, actually. There's a TV show that happened. Do we want season three of that? I haven't even seen season two, so I don't know. Do I want season three? I can live without it. Fair. 
Okay, moving on, still on Marvel. In the Heights, Anthony Ramos, or Anthony Ramos, is going to be an Ironheart in a secret role. That's it. He's going to be in it. I'm not hugely familiar with all of Ironheart's comic book history. I would guess that a logical possibility would be that he's just a member of her family. But if that were the case, then why do we really need to be kept secret? Sometimes they do that. They just say that this person will be in it and they don't see the need to reveal who it is as of yet. And one of the random but probably not going to happen possibility was there was one comic book arc where Riri was fighting against Baron Zemo and on Zemo's side of things was Blackheart. And given that Blackheart's powers are fueled by Dark Force and can be enhanced through use of the Darkhold, it would give it a vague connection to where Wanda's story is likely going to go. Riri's going to be in Black Panther as well. That's where she'll appear first, I believe. Even before it was ever actually announced that they were doing anything with her, that was how I always imagined her appearing. I imagined her being one of Shuri's students. Yeah, she stumbles into something, I don't know. It's going to be different to the comics for sure. It's not going to be she finds a Tony Stark AI in a suit and wears that. It's not going to be that. No, because that would be very boring. Yeah. This next one is a rumour Thor Love and Thunder might be featuring the character Bast. And that is notable because that is a Wakandan god. It is indeed, yes. I like that kind of stuff. It's tying into the mythology side of things. They did that in phase one where they had a lot of the Norse mythology feeding into different aspects of the storytelling just here and there. It was just little bits and pieces. So continuing that, they're giving the Marvel Cinematic Universe almost a pantheon of gods to play with and we already have that with Thor and so on but there's different pantheons they can draw on so yeah Wakandan mythology is all real it is just aliens or interdimensional beings or whatever influencing them in different ways so that's pretty cool and we have potential casting as well Akosia Sabat whoever she is she's in the film Clickbait which is a film that came out a series not film series sorry for those unaware Bast is the goddess from the Wakandan mythos of the MCU the character serves as a panther goddess that led a warrior shaman to the heart-shaped herb a plant that can enhance physical abilities and gives the user the ability to enter the ancestral plane really cool if true Bast also did get a kind of indirect reference in Civil War with the explanation about the Wakandan afterlife and the whole death is not the end kind of thing Mm -hmm. and specifically that Bast is the goddess who actually leads souls to the afterlife yes so that's really cool if true I imagine it could be part of Christian Bale's campaign she might be the first person he kills or something like that because he's going to be Gore the God Butchers. Possibly, yeah. yeah. So maybe he's doing a God of War type thing and tearing his way through any god he can find. Which might mean we'll get Hercules eventually. The MCU version of Hercules. <laughs> It'll happen. It's never going to stop. They'll get there eventually. Okay, shall we hop the fence over to DC? Let's. So our first one is for HBO Max, they are planning to do an adaptation of The Wonder Twins. Warner Brothers has hired Adam Siskel. Siskel, maybe. I don't know who worked on the upcoming Black Adam, starring Dwayne Johnson, obviously, to write and direct a movie based on the DC characters. Wonder Twins follows a pair of alien siblings named Zan and Janna, or Jaina, who hail from the planet Ixor and have a pet space monkey named Gleek. First seen in Hanna-Barbera's 1977 animated TV series, All New Super Friends, our Jaina, or Janna, I forget which it's pronounced. In Smallville, I think it was Janna has the ability to shapeshift into animals, while Zan can shapeshift into water constructs. The super siblings' powers are activated by touching rings as they use their catchphrase, Wonder Twin Power Activate. Following the animated series, the Wonder Twins appeared in DC Comics and were later introduced in the main universe, since appearing on episodes of Teen Titans Go, Smallville, and The Flash. They didn't appear in The Flash. Gleek 
kind of did. There's a very oblique reference to Gleek right at the end of Crisis. Yes. That was as far as it went, though. So, Variety, you're wrong, kind of. But anyway, that's happening. Not against this idea completely. I thought the Smallville version of them was all right, actually. They weren't aliens. They were just meteor freaks, I think, or metahumans, one of the two. Yeah, just one of multiple dozen people with kryptonite powers. Yeah, and Gleek was just a phone cover, I think. Something like that. It was Smallville, right? It was all we used to get before we got true adaptations of things. We got what (laughs) Smallville could get away with, and we loved it. It was the best we could have hoped for at the time. Yeah, so this seems fine. I do like that DC seem to be branching out with what characters they're planning to adapt. It's nice when they remember that they have characters that aren't Batman. It's always good. Or characters in the sphere of Batman, who they keep trying to rework without Batman, which we'll get to very soon. Yes. The difficulty with this is making them work in a live-action project without being utterly ridiculous. So you can either try and make it possible so that you take them seriously, which would, I think, be the wrong move, or do a bit of a tongue-in-cheek approach. Although saying that, when Marvel, well, it wasn't quite Marvel, but whoever it was that was running the show, when they did Cloak and Dagger, that could have been ridiculous, as the characters sometimes are in the comics, but they managed to really make that pop. Bring those characters back into the MCU, come on! And also, I think about just how... Utterly ridiculous uh, TV show about Green Arrow could have been. Yeah, and often was. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very true. <laughs> uh, Wonder Twins, young characters I personally have a great deal of connection to. Even as a little kid, I found most Hanna Barbera cartoons painfully naff. To the extent that even as like a six-year-old tried to watch them, I was just like, "This is completely stupid." <laughs> and since that was pretty much my only exposure to the characters, I never really developed any kind of affection for them. I don't know them that well either. But that said, I'm always interested in seeing how characters can be reworked to fit in with contemporary media. And I'm willing to give this a go, if nothing else, for the curiosity to see how it turns out. Yeah. Plus, if Black Adam ends up being good, it's some of the same people involved in that, so stands to reason that this will be good too. They must have an idea, at the very least. Yeah, because I really don't think they're characters that that someone would decide to adapt just purely on a whim. They're going to have a, a clear plan for what they're going to do with them, whatever that might be. Yeah, we'll find out. So much content, come on. <laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. Apparently we don't have enough content. Let's bring out the Wonder Twins and let's do it soon. Because <laughs> we don't have enough on the go. I'm just glad they haven't announced another version of Batman. It's encouraging. If it did that, I'd just be, you know what, I'm done. <laughs> Yeah, I'm done with content. Just not watching anything ever again. Just going to smash my TV and yep. live in a hut somewhere with no internet access. Like those memes on Facebook uh, keep on asking if you would do, if you got paid like a million pounds for it or some nonsense. I think there's very little that most people wouldn't do for a million pounds. Well, sorry, my brain just went to some very inappropriate places yeah, it's there. it's a family show. In theory. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Moving on. Moving on, yes. So this is a very quick one. James Gunn has said that he's planning to focus on DC TV for a while. He said, I think... I pretty much have decided that after I'm done with Guardians, I'm going to be doing television for at least a year. My mind's made up on that. It's funny how he says, I think I'm going to be doing television for at least a year. My mind's made up on that. Two contradictory sentences running up against each other. I took it to mean that his mind is made up, but that's what he's going to do if he is in fact able to do so. Anyway, he said, not all the shows that we're dealing with are things that I'm going to be writing and directing, so some of them may take different amounts of time. Peacemaker is going to be me writing, me directing, and me spending all my time on set, but other shows that may not be writing and directing or not directing all the episodes. So he's going to do stuff. They've already announced that they're going to do another spin-off of the Suicide side squad which doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be one of those characters it'll probably just be another thing set in that world that can be sort of tangentially connected because if you do blood sport it's just peacemaker again but 
slightly different. I'm not as funny. That's the joke in the Suicide Squad. These are the same guy. It has to be Ratcatcher, really, because you're not going to get Margot Robbie to do a Harley Quinn series. King Shark would be too expensive. Yeah. Everyone else is dead, so it has to be. That was pretty much my reasoning, actually. <laughs> and also, as the Suicide Squad proved, Ratcatcher has the potential to be quite a compelling character. Yeah. So I wouldn't be against that. Or just, we're going to give you a Matter Eater Lad TV series or something like that, as was mentioned in Peacemaker. There's a lot of characters mentioned in Peacemaker that could come up because he talks about meeting different sort of Z-list, C-list DC characters over the years. Kite Man. Kite Man, yeah. He was sort of redeemed in the Harley Quinn show. So, I don't know. <laughs> Batmite. I think it's hilarious that Peacemaker still set in the same universe as Zack Snyder's Justice League and Batmite it yeah. somehow. <laughs> when did that happen? brilliant. When did that happen? I want to see that. Give us a Ben Affleck movie where the principal villain is Batmite. That would be incredible. (laughs) The last bit of DC news. I don't know if that quite qualifies as a bit of a CW thing or not. It might not be of the CW, so I don't know. Anyway, this upcoming animated Smallville series that him and Michael Rosenbaum have been pitching. He recently appeared at a convention and he said, we're working on an animated series that picks up right after her Smallville season 10 and again telling her own story. And our vision is that we get Erica... It might be tough to get Alison Mack, ha ha ha, <laughs> but even Sam Jones third and Lionel Luther is going to be a big part of that. John Glover wants to do it. We've already been into this. We've already got an animation. We just don't have the stories yet because Al and Miles are busy doing Tim Burton-like movies. That's great news. Do you remember when we talked about it when it was first announced that they were thinking about doing this, that I assumed it was going to be set during season one because that's Smallville all over the back. We don't give you Superman. <laughs> we'll never give you Superman. No, they're going to give us Superman. Yes, but very crucially, it's another iteration of Superman where Tom Welling won't have to wear the suit. Yeah, he won't have to squeeze himself into the tights. He was never keen on that and that was never going to happen and that's fine. Now he's a bit older and a bit less in shape than he used to be so maybe he's better not not as superman i would still watch it if he was i would still watch it if he was in a baggy superman costume obviously we know how that character ends up he does it for a couple of years and then gives up which is very clark and smallville to be honest yeah because he was always far more of a reluctant hero than many other iterations of superman yeah and it certainly follows that it isn't something that he would feel compelled to do for the rest of his life Certainly. No. I'm just not sure how convincing it would actually be having a guy who is probably pushing 50 now, or at very least in his 40s, a character who's meant to be, like, 25. I'm sure it'll be fine. It's just a voice thing, and they can modulate a bit. I haven't really seen him in anything since Lucifer. He's going to be in something that we'll talk about later, though. But yeah, I'm excited about this. I love Smallville, and seeing that continue, yeah, of course. I know I often complain about the fact that nothing ever finishes, which is going to be something else that we'll talk about later on, but... At the same time, when I hear a bit more Smallville coming, then great. Even if it is animated. I've read some of the comics, but not all of them. I've not read any of them, actually. I've never quite got around to them. No, you don't have to, because they're just going to do it a bit differently in this. <laughs> yeah, imagine if Chloe's in it at all. They'll give her a different voice. Justin Hartley can probably drag him in. Cassidy Freeman as Tess. Why not? I'm sure Sam Whitworth can turn up and do ten voices, because he usually does. <laughs> yeah, all for this. Absolutely. Another Superman thing. Seems like we're getting... A decent amount of Superman coming up, so quite happy with that. And I forgot to mention Superman and Lois is one of the shows that I'm watching. Reviews on the site. Really good show, I love Superman and Lois. So this will be a different take on a older slash still somehow new his career Superman because, as everybody knows, in Smallville, he dealt with pretty much everything that's significant before he becomes Superman. So why does he need to become Superman? He's dealt with everything. Dark side, Doomsday, Brainiacs, all gone. Nothing else to Zod. do. Zod. Zod, yeah. Twice. <laughs> Nothing else to do. Bizarro. Yeah. 
Did it all just to save some cats out of trees and things. Modest stuff. That's why he gave up. He's like, this is boring. I've done everything. Yeah. Okay, let us hop over to the CW. So let's start off with some pilot announcements. One of them is Gotham Knights. We've discussed it before. It's a sequel to a series that never existed about a bunch of heroes picking up in Bruce Wayne's stead, but it's not Batwoman. It's another series where people pick up the slack after Bruce Wayne is dead or disappeared. Might as well talk about the casting now because they've cast it. Oh no, they haven't cast it. It's a casting call, which suggests that the characters are going to be Dick Grayson slash Nightwing, which we've got in another show anyway, in Titans. I'm going to be two cutting about at the same time. Stephanie Brown. Is it Stephanie Brown in Batwoman? Oh yeah, actually. I forgot that. Harper Rowe, Bluebird, her brother Cullen, Julia Pennyworth. Also in Batwoman. Duella Dent, also in Batwoman. Tiffany Fox, daughter of Lucius Fox, not in Batwoman, but we have a son. It should be noted that the casting call is reportedly looking for actors around 18 years of age, which should have given an idea of the timeline. Again, none of these have been confirmed in any official capacity. So it's going to be a young, ethnically diverse cast of beautiful people playing DC characters. If nothing else, I am quite encouraged by the statement that it might be Dick Grayson. Because while yet another version of Robin slash Nightwing is long redundant at this point, the description of one of the characters in pilot announcement referring to Bruce's rebellious son. Adopted son. I was a little concerned it might be referencing Damien. Oh, right, yeah. Who I cannot adequately verbalise how much I despise. <laughs> yeah, but the CW version might not be that. It might be... Different. Possibly, but it's not as if the CW is especially averse to featuring characters driven by insufferable arrogance and snarky condescension. True. So that's a pilot that they've commissioned. It does sound a bit like Batwoman, but with more characters. Or Gotham with less well-known characters. The blurb says, In the wake of Bruce Wayne's murder, his rebellious adopted son forges an unlikely alliance with the children of Batman's enemies when they are all framed for killing the caped crusader. And as the city's most wanted criminals, this renegade band of misfits must fight to clear their names. But in a Gotham with no dark night to protect it, the city descends into the most dangerous it's ever been. However, hope comes from the most unexpected of places as this team of mismatch fugitives will become its next generation of saviors known as the Gotham Knights. Sounds incredibly CW. Yes. Powerpuff is another pilot that they're doing again, which we've already covered extensively. They've just confirmed that they're still doing it. Live action reboot of the 1998-2005 Cartoon Network series follows the trio who used to be America's pint-sized superheroes. Now they're disillusioned (laughs) 20-somethings who resent having lost their childhood to (sighs) pint-sized Will they agree to reunite now that the world needs them more than ever? The last bit of chat we had on this was that Chloe Bennett left the show. She said that there was scheduling conflicts, as in there was a conflict between her doing this and then doing anything but this. Yes. (laughs) Oh, God. I just can't. We've talked about this so many times, but I was interested when it was first announced. I thought it'd be a good viable replacement for Supergirl. It seemed like there were some interesting people involved in it. And then the pilot script leaked. And it's like, what? Yes. Somebody deliberately typed these words in that order. Yes. Onto a page and genuinely believed that they would be taken seriously. What? Mm-hmm. Anyway, moving on. The next two pilots' orders are spin-offs. One of them is called Walker Independence. Walker origin story set in the late 1800s follows Abby Walker, an affluent Bostonian whose husband is murdered before her eyes while on their journey out west. On her quest for revenge, Abby crosses paths with Hoyt Rollins, a lovable rogue in search of purpose, 
Abby and Hoyt's journey takes them to Independence, Texas, where they encounter diverse, eclectic residents running from their own troubled past and chasing their dreams. Her newfound family will struggle with the changing world around them while becoming agents of change themselves in a town where nothing is what it seems. I've seen the first episode of the Jared Padalecki Walker series, and I thought it was boring, so I haven't seen any more of it. And the fact that it's getting a spin-off baffles me. To be honest, I didn't know it was that popular. We'll talk about it next, but considering Supernatural tried twice to get a spin-off and twice it failed. This has hmm. been on for less than two seasons and somehow it's managed to get one. I've not bothered with any of Walker at all because I've got too much other things that I actually want to watch and there's nothing about it looked like it was something that would be worth the time it would take to actually sit down and watch it, really. Yeah, fair. I was reading up on it a little bit prior to recording, and one thing that did stand out was that the Jared Padalecki series, that actually also has a character named Hoyt Rollins. So I would assume that the Independence character would be intended to be an ancestor of the Walker character to give it a connection, and possibly even more directly so by having them played by the same actor. Maybe. Not that interested. Probably won't watch it. Given how uninterested I was in Walker itself, then a spin-off of a show wasn't interested in is not going to interest me. Up next, we have The Winchesters, a supernatural prequel series. It's told from the perspective of narrator Dean Winchester, following the epic untold story of how John met Mary and how they put it on the line to not only save their love, but the entire world. No, 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 just... No. The problem with this is the history of John and Mary Winchester is pretty well documented in the show itself. So what gaps is there really left to fill in? It'll probably mess with canon. Although, are we supposed to care whether it'll mess with canon? But yeah, I just don't understand why this is getting made. But the fact that Jensen Ackles and his wife have put their weight behind it suggests that we'll at least get half a season. Imagine this runs for another 15 seasons. Oh, God damn. <laughs> I... Don't have the patience. Might be great, though. It sounds like it's essentially supernatural again, but set in what? The 80s? 70s? 70s, I think. Going by the chronology. Yeah. And the last one is there's a pilot for the female-led Zorro reboot, which is one of two Zorro things that are getting made, actually. A young Latinx woman seeking revenge for her father's murder joins a secret society and adopts the outlaw persona of Zorro. I discussed this with Isaac last month. I can already see what the basic framework of the show will be. She will join the society. She'll probably be mentored by the previous Zorro, who may or may not be a woman, and go from there. Yeah, it's basically just, just Zorro, but a woman. That's the concept. And a sort of fundamental issue with that is that that concept actually already exists. In these early 2000s, there was a one-season TV series called Queen of Swords, which was basically the exact same setup. A young aristocratic Mexican woman who becomes a masked vigilante and becomes a champion of the downtrodden peasants of her town and fights the violence and corruption around her. Yes, but it wasn't on the CW, I assume, and it didn't contain love triangles or anything else like that. That's where it went wrong. I'm okay with this. I think it's fine. Zorro is... It's a mantle, isn't it? Even in the Antonio Banderas film, he was the latest in the line of Zorro's, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, so it's fine. Whatever. Zorro's one of the oldest vigilante characters out there, isn't he, in terms of being adapted? He's one of the first. Possibly him and the Scarlet Pimpernel. Yeah. The originals. So can't wait till the CW announce that they're going to be forming a pilot for that next year. I've said too much. I've already given away from my plans for when I buy the CW. <laughs> my offer is still on the table. £10 and a packet of mini cheddars. They can take it or they can leave it. And the longer they leave it, the more likely it is that I'll eat the mini cheddars. 
I'm okay with Zorro as a concept. They've done quite well with their female-led, well, not quite superhero, but, well, superhero stuff they've done plenty of, but the female-led, not quite superhero stuff, Kung Fu, for example, that was pretty good. Yeah, it was above average. Yeah, which for the CW is really good. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, let's move on. We're free of the CW now. We've got a few news items for Star Trek. One of the spin-offs that they're planning to develop is one based on Starfleet Academy, which is something that they've been planning to do for decades. They've been trying to do this for a long time. There was Cadet Kirk stuff on the table. Star Trek VI was originally supposed to be a flashback of them at the Academy, etc., etc. And now it looks like they're finally doing it. They haven't said when it'll be set, but my guess would be it'll be set in the 32nd century where Discovery is set. I've got a funny feeling that's going to be your default Star Trek timeline with everything else sort of branching out from there or branching back from there or whatever they want to do. So that'd be my guess. It's a good idea. It'd be interesting to see how they can do storytelling with younger characters learning how to be Star Trek, essentially, in a way that isn't what they're doing on Prodigy. I haven't actually watched any of Prodigy. Oh, it's really good. I know I should, but it's, again, too many things and not enough time. I certainly think this is quite a good idea. And if nothing else, it'd be nice to have have a Star Trek show that doesn't revolve around life aboard Starship. There's, There's literally a whole universe out there of possibilities other than that. Yeah, so far, that's been the default mode of storytelling. And so to try something a bit different could actually be quite interesting. A CW-style college drama set in the Star Trek universe. Yes, where even as aliens, everyone is young and sexy. Yeah, it's the rule. Everybody has to be young and sexy with different coloured skin. And I imagine there'll be one alien that relies on a lot of visual effects that you'll see every now and again. Sounds about right to me. So yeah, keen for that. That should be cool. Again, it's another string to the Star Trek bow. They can bring in different audiences by aiming at different people. So... You've got Discovery, that's your quote-unquote traditional Star Trek, although Strange New Worlds could be even more traditional Star Trek, don't know. Picard is aimed at... I have no idea anymore who Picard is aimed at, but it's aimed at someone. Lower Decks is aimed at people like me that are nostalgic for the 90s content. Prodigy is aimed at kids, but it's not talking down to kids, most notably. So here's your team crowd with Starfleet Academy. Yeah, it sounds pretty plausible to me, actually. Just play with the versatility of the universe, which is what Star Wars are at least saying they're doing. Whether they're actually doing it or not is another story. But it's all there to be played for. And in that vein, Akiva Goldsman was riffing about an anthology show idea, which apparently isn't real. It's just something he was thinking about, how he'd love to do it. He suggested how it could bring back, say, George Takei as Sulu or Scott Bakula as Archer in one-shot stories, just picking apart different parts of the established history of Star Trek. It's not something that they're actively making at this point in time, but it's certainly something they could do. And I would love to see it. It sounds fairly similar in format to the Short Treks uh, series of short films that we got before, I think it was seasons two and three of Discovery. There were some between one and two, and then there were some after season two. Which were all, all just random stories in the Star Trek universe, but not necessarily having anything to do with the main timeline. And they were, for the most part, quite serviceable and quite enjoyable. They were quite confined to the Discovery era and then you had some stories on the Enterprise after the second season but yes the concept is strong and this sounds a bit more broad brush if they ever get to make it. Yeah I was thinking as it was just an offhand comment then it might be quite some time if ever before it actually becomes reality. Yeah one thing about Star Trek at the moment is I don't like Paramount's idea of we want Star Trek on 52 weeks of the year because that's enough to make me even feel sick of it. 
to be honest. Give me loads of Star Trek, but don't give me that much Star Trek. I never thought I'd be at the point where I was saying, slow down, less Star Trek, please. <laughs> Could you make a little bit less Star Trek, or at least concentrate it less? Give me it over a longer timeline. But it sounds like they just can't keep up with their own ideas. That whole monkey's paw thing again. Yes. Be very specific in what you wish for. Exactly. Yeah, I shouldn't have wished for that in the 90s. Or 2005 when they cancelled Enterprise. Shouldn't have wished for it. <laughs> Speaking of things that maybe people didn't wish for, we have a potential new Star Trek movie starring Zachary Quinto, Chris Pine, etc. All those guys. Kelvinverse. The Kelvinverse, movie. yes. Or the Abramsverse, as I was calling it for a while. J.J. Abrams said during a Paramount Investors Day presentation on February 15th, I always find these Investor Day things hilarious because you've got people in suits that are spending a lot of money propping up organisations and you've got people going up and being like, we're going to make more Star Trek. <laughs> There's almost a comedy show you could make out of that about these people that are in really responsible occupations that are just talking about essentially kid stuff. All these arguments that people were having in boardrooms about Spider-Man, for example. I think we should do Craven's Last Hunt because that will give us some good fourth quarter earnings in two years. <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> I think there's a good bit of comedy in there. It's almost like that Powerless show, but if it was any good. I didn't mind that, actually. If you like comedies that aren't supposed to make you laugh, then sure. <laughs> Although Vanessa Hudgens was good in it. She's usually good in things when she's in them. On the four episodes that I watched before, I thought, I'm never watching this again. But anyway, that's a digression of the show that I will make when I run the CW. I'll make a TV show about lawyers that are arguing about stuff that people consider to be trivial kids' crap. And they argue obstinately about it and about how much money they need to make out of it and things. So... J.J. Abrams stood up in front of all these investors and said, we are thrilled to say we are hard at work on a new Star Trek film that will be shooting by the end of the year that will be featuring our original cast, as in the cast that he picked, and some new characters that I think are going to be really fun and exciting and help to take Star Trek into areas that you've just never seen before. From J.J. Abrams, I doubt it. We're thrilled about yeah. this film. We have a bunch of other stories that we're talking about that we think will be really exciting, so can't wait for you to see what we're cooking up. But until then, live long and prosper. And then later on, the cast said, this is the first we've heard of it, <laughs> so another delay happens for this Star Trek film. How many iterations have uh, we seen? The Quentin Tarantino one's not happening anymore, if it ever was. The cast may or may not be coming back. It's had about three directors, about a million writers. Matt Shakeman is currently directing it, and no one's told Chris Pine that he needs to work. So basically what I'm going to do is I'm just going to start claiming that I'm going to do stuff and then hope it happens. So uh, stay tuned for my two-hour interview with William Shatner. Well, because apparently that's all you need to do to make something happen. I'm pretty sure this will happen, though. And I wouldn't be against it. Beyond convince me that I want to see more of these guys. It's almost like the Bond problem, because what happened was I watched Casino Royale and I loved it and I wanted to see more of it. Then I saw Quantum of Solace and I didn't want to see anything else after that. Then I saw Skyfall. And I wanted to see more of it again. And then Spectre happened. And I didn't want to see any more after that. So it's a similar pattern with the Star Trek movies at this point. Because loved the first one. Did not like the second one. Don't get me started. And beyond, I loved it. I was just going to wholeheartedly agree with you about what reprehensible garbage Into Darkness was. Oh God, there's a whole podcast on it. It was one of our first ones. Go back and listen to it. Dreadful. Really hate that film. Beyond was great. I loved it. And I wanted to see more after that. And it's taken us this long to finally be teased with the prospect of seeing more of it and only to be told no we're not in this film so who knows what's going to happen now there's something wait what no one's told me <laughs> try and get chris hemsworth in remember that was a rumor at one point that fell through because they've refused to pay the two chrissies what they were worth as i understand it that's it for star trek let us jump the fence to star wars we have a poster for obi-wan kenobi it's a picture of him standing in the desert which is as i understand it very little of what the show will involve because it seems like he's going to go off world and fight darth vader like four times and go all over the place because that's what 
hermits who have been in exile for decades do, apparently. Yeah, well, my biggest reaction to it was how much more imagery can I actually take of a lone warrior striding across flurrying desert sand dunes. Because we've had quite a plethora of that lately, and like Trek, there's a whole universe out there of things which do not involve this, which you could also very easily tell tales regarding. The Star Wars project I'm most interested in that's upcoming is the Acolyte, because that seems like it could be something entirely new. Although it will probably feature some kind of flash-forward involving Palpatine, I would guess. And Palpatine's going to be in this show, probably. In Obi-Wan, he'll show up. I would imagine. Probably watching Obi-Wan and Vader fight, because let's just step on the cannon completely, why not? Why break tradition now? If you're going to break it, then just really break it. Just don't worry about it. No point doing it half arsed because whatever you do, fast swathes of whining entitled internet fanboys are going to start screaming in all caps at you. Mm-hmm. But more encouraging is that John Watts, aka the guy that directed the three Spider-Man movies in the MCU, and is going to be directing Fantastic Four, at least the moment he is. Apparently he's going to be working on a live-action Star Wars series that may or may not be tied into this High Republic project that I know almost nothing about. I just know that it's a collection of stories set at different points and different timelines and things. But John Watts is going to be showrunning or producing this show, potentially. I guess we can add this to the list and stuff that just might never happen. But I'm not against the idea. I think he's very good, and it's supposed to be geared at a younger audience, which, considering his work on Spider-Man, seems like a good fit. I wrote some news articles uh, about High Republic when it was all first announced, and from what I remember, it certainly sounded like the directions it was going to go were going to be quite interesting. It would have really helped if I had made some notes of exactly what they were, because <laughs> I cannot remember them. One bit was definitely involving space pirates. Yeah, I can't recall any specifics, which is really annoying. It's just a big anthology situation isn't it it's meant to touch on different aspects all over the place basically just a whole load of different stories yeah so that's fine again good fit gear at a younger audience gives younger star wars fans something to chew on or create an entry point for younger star wars fans the next thing is for some reason they're going to give Andor a second season does anybody want the first season i don't know i don't i don't think the character that interesting he was good in rogue one but i don't need to see more of him and also, exactly how invested can you be in a character when you know that he's going to die in a couple of years? Yeah, so do we get to see every year of his thing? I would assume it would be more like Rogue One than any of the mainline movies. So it would be less fantasy as science fiction and more spying and espionage kind of deal, but all within the same weird world. You'd hope so. Anyway, that's that. It's getting a second season. Next up, Ray Stevenson has been cast in Ahsoka in an unknown role. The production of Ahsoka begins in April, so that's not far away. So he's going to be joining Mary Elizabeth Winstead and some other people. And Tatum Christensen, let's not forget, is reprising his role as Anakin Skywalker, because everybody wants to see that. (laughs) I love the Ahsoka character, as do you. Based on our 200th podcast, you were waxing lyrical about how great Ahsoka is. Based on what I've seen in the Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett. I haven't seen it, but I've seen those clips. I really don't like Rosario Dawson's take on the character. Me neither. I will admit that it's partly just because it's not Ashley Eckstein playing her. She doesn't have the spark, though. She doesn't have that exuberance that she's known for. She's more cynical and jaded and unfeeling. It isn't who Ahsoka is. And to pretend that it is, it just feels wrong. I just can't muster the enthusiasm for it that I feel I really should. Yeah, although hopefully they'll change it up for her actual show. I would hate for everything to have the same tone because that's boring. It's something that I 
want to care about, but I don't. That's about the size of it where I'm concerned as well. But Ray Stevenson's good. And he is also particularly good at playing villainous characters. I could certainly see him as some renegade Sith or like a dark Jedi. Next up, we have a bit of further Disney news, but not the same kind of Disney news. The National Treasure TV series has cast Catherine Zeta-Jones, presumably in a role similar to Nick Cage, I guess. And that's about it. So this TV series is getting made. And I love the National Treasure movies. I still want to know what's on page 47. They haven't told me yet. <laughs> Apparently a Nick Cage film is still in development, so they might tell us. I'm pretty sure after it's been this long, I wouldn't be satisfied by the answer of what's on page 47. It's now relegated to the annals of nerddom that the space jockey from Alien or the Klingon ridges used to occupy, where they answered those questions, and I hate the answer. <laughs> so don't tell me what's on page 47, actually. I don't need to know. I don't want to know. You can't possibly give me an answer that will satisfy me at this point, so don't do it. But this TV series could be fun. Zeta Jones will play Billy, a badass billionaire, a black market, antiquities expert, and treasure hunter who lives by her own code. She transformed herself from a penniless orphan to a shrewd, stylish businesswoman and adventurer. Billy's used to getting what she wants, and she wants the Pan-American treasure. But not just for the money, this treasure has deeper stakes for her. So yeah, very similar to Nick Cage. Yeah, all sounds very familiar. All sounds very fun. I absolutely love any kind of setup involving globe-hopping treasure hunts because I just think that they're a great laugh and you can have a lot of fun with them dreaming up these ridiculously intricate hiding places that have like one tiny weakness or, or a complicated ways that you need to access them. And I'm pretty sure this is going to be more of the same. And it's going to be a great laugh. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Can't be worse than Uncharted. Still on Jerry Bruckheimer, he's going to be producing a live-action movie with Paramount based on the popular toy franchise Beyblade. The Spinning Top Toys were a competitor of Pokemon, originally developed by a Japanese firm called Takara, and it'll be licensed by different companies, including Hasbro. There was a cartoon at one point. They're going to make a live-action film out of this for some reason. Cool. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a thing that's going to happen. That's a thing they're going to make, whether we like it or not. And will we be interested in that? I don't know. They made a really good film out of Lego, so it's not impossible. True, but then they made a really bad film out of Battleship. Yeah, I like Battleship. What? Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was alright. It's not high art by any means, but it's alright. Taylor Kitsch. I always feel sorry for the guy. I feel like he should be doing better than he is. I will agree to that, actually. He just had really bad luck in the reception of the starring vehicles that should have made his name. He was a good gambit. He was. He was also a good John Carter of Mars. Yeah, that film isn't as bad as people say it is. The problem is that John Carter was the inspiration for most sci-fi that a lot of people grew up on. So when a direct adaptation of it was made, it just ended up looking like a pale imitation of the very things that it inspired. It was the same with Valerian when that came out. Yes, exactly. I like that too. Got a soft spot in my heart for these forgotten, everyone hates them sci-fi films. And seemingly films that have random roles for Rihanna as well. Yeah, I suppose. I like what I like. (laughs) Battleship, not bad. So it's not impossible. Beyblade might be the next Battleship, which I'd be okay with. Depends who you ask. Says the only person who will ever say that. Well, Jenna enjoyed it during the scenes that Alexander Skarsgård was in. (laughs) Rest of it, not so much. Moving on. Paddington 3 is in somewhat early development. Paul King said he won't direct the film, but will be involved in some way because he's directing Wonka, the Willy Wonka origin story. He's doing that. But Paddington 3 is happening. Maybe without Paul King, I'm not as excited as I should be, but Paddington 1 and 2 are so good, I want to see the third one. I think another Paddington movie is exactly what the world needs right now. Yes. Just pure joy and unabashed optimism and completely free of 
spite or cynicism. Just something that can make you believe that pure goodness actually exists. Yeah, we need it. We definitely need it. Nothing more to be said on it than it's happening and we're excited about it. Yes, very much so. Okay, moving on. I should have said this when we talked about the Lord of the Rings series, but there's going to be an animated movie. An anime, in fact, set for April 24, called Lord of the Rings, The War of the Rohirrim. An anime set in the Lord of the Rings universe. Good opportunity to just go nuts. Yeah, well, that was certainly what they did with the Witcher universe in the Nightmare of the Wolf anime movie, which was very, very good. I would expect that something like this could well be more of the same. I think it would be great. Yeah, we'll see in two years, apparently. More content to think about. Next up in It Never Finishes which is pretty much everything now. Mm-hmm. Futurama is coming back after Yay! its third cancellation, something like that. Well, I suppose it wasn't really cancelled after the specials. It was just that that was all they were supposed to do. Yeah, that was meant to be an ending. Yeah. Then it was brought back. Yes, and now it's coming back again. The thing is, as much as I love Futurama, sometimes I'm okay with just letting things end. And I thought the way they ended it last time was great. Does it need to come back? No, it doesn't. It doesn't need to come back, but it was a series that I enjoyed so much just all the way through it. I'm actually perfectly happy to have more of it. And after the news of that came out, I actually started a rewatch of the entire (laughs) series. Just because I can, because it's on Disney+. And this was one of the things that I vaguely alluded to earlier. And... I am enjoying it just as much as I did when I was a teenager. There was a bit more dead animal humour than I remember. (laughs) But aside from that, it's something I'm I'm just really enjoying all over again. And I'm actually quite looking forward to having more of it. Oh, don't get me wrong, I will enjoy it when it comes back and I will watch it, of course. And I do love Futurama, but at the same time, whenever I see these things that I thought I'd said goodbye to getting revived... I'm usually met with the feeling of, we've had that, I've been there, I've dealt with the ending of that, and just nothing finishes anymore, which is a bit disquieting in some ways, I think. I can't really articulate it very well. It's just odd that we're reviving so many different things. It's particularly at this time, just everything that looks to have been finished is just coming back in some way. Despite the fact that I'm really excited about Smallville coming back as an animated series, Mm -hmm. I'm aware that there are double standards at play, and Futurama is something that I look forward to coming back. But I would quite just like to... Have things just end and just that would be it. They're over. That's fine. We don't need to dig them up. I see where you're coming from with that, certainly. Even when you might have liked more of something, sometimes it is good for them to just end when they end it. One of my all-time favourite series is this animated show called Gravity Falls. About this brother and sister who get sent to stay with their great uncle over the summer in this town where it turns out there's a lot of weird supernatural stuff going on. It was absolutely magnificent, really intelligent, really imaginative, but also something that kids could enjoy as, as much as adults. It finished at the end of its second season very definitively, and as much as I would have loved to have had more of it, at the same time I was happy it was deliberately given that ending. Okay, we're done with this now, we don't need more of it. Yeah, sometimes it's fine to just close the book on something. We'll see if they can recapture the magic of Futurama. I think it had a really nice emotional ending that really worked. Anyway, moving on, we have two bits of casting news for M. Night Shyamalan's next movie called Knock at the Cabin. Details are being kept under wraps because it's a film by M. Night Shyamalan and he doesn't want us to know what it's actually about before it comes out. That's his thing. But Dave Bautista and Rupert Grint are going to be in it. That's all there is to say. I like Dave Bautista as an actor. He's slowly demonstrating at least some degree of range. Though Shyamalan I at best consider to be 
somewhat mediocre as a storyteller. I never watched old, but I heard mixed things. I just didn't bother watching it. I did not like it. It was another example of what you mentioned earlier, where if you've watched the trailer, you've basically seen the entire film. Okay, so I didn't need to watch it then. Because there wasn't any more story to that. And there even wasn't an explanation of how or why the beach was causing people to rapidly age so much. It was to do with something else, to the point that exactly what caused the beach's properties was treated like an inconsequential afterthought, rather than the crux of the entire story, as you likely have expected it to be. Yeah, so we'll see what this latest effort is, but Batista's in it, and if you like Rupert Grint as well. Rupert Grint partnered with him on that Servant show on Apple TV+, Plus that I've not seen. I managed two seasons of that, and I just gave up because I got bored with it. That's a good reason to give up on something. I've done that many times. Perfectly valid. Next up, we have three bits of casting for Barbie, this film that just continues to baffle. It's getting made, and it sounds like it's going to be quite an experience. Simu Liu, America Ferreira, and Kate McKinnon have all been cast. It's not clear what the film's about yet, but it's got Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, etc. Greta Gerwig's making it, so three more very good people. I think that it's probably not accidental that an Asian guy and a Latina woman have been cast in this film. Because even though in more recent years, the whole Barbie brand has, has become quite a bit more diverse, most people's perception of it is still this picture-perfect pastiche of white 1950s Americana. So to cast people who are in direct contrast to this, it's a pretty good indicator that it's not going to be what a lot of people might expect it to be. Yeah, good cast, good director. What is this going to be? I guess that's the appeal of it at this point, isn't it? Exactly. What is this? Maybe the appeal will drift away once we see a trailer or something. Is that it? All right, okay. It's just some biopic about the creation of a doll. Fantastic. <laughs> Next bit of news, Simulu again is going to be joining Sam Worthington, Jordana Brewster, Robbie Amell and Alicia Sands in Thriller Hello Stranger, which is about a woman called Faye who attempts to replace her newly deceased husband with an android simulant. Although Sim Evan appears like human Evan in every way, Faye does not feel the same love for Sim Evan as he does for her. Sim Evan tries to win Faye back while at the same time being on the run from a government agent chasing down Sims who have become conscious and could potentially be a threat to humankind. So pretty standard emergent AI type plot by the sounds of things. Sounds kind of similar in a way to that Johnny Depp film Transcendence. Also kind of similar to her in a way, although her isn't about anybody chasing AIs. Her is a much more complicated love story really, but it's along those lines. It was more to think of it as a hybrid of that Black Mirror episode that had Hayley Atwell and Donald Gleeson in it merged with Blade Runner. Yeah, there's all sorts of connections you can draw. It sounds quite cool. It's good to see Simulu getting work because I really liked him as Shang-Chi, so it's good to see him getting involved in other stuff. Yeah, agree completely. Up next, we are at Netflix. They are teaming with Sean Levy, who's going to direct a film based on the short story Backwards. The short story is written by mother-son team Juliana Beggett and Phineas Scott. A dying father chooses a method to extend his life that involves reverse aging in a de-aging facility. Appointed to be his caretaker as his estranged daughter, as the years peel off, they are able to get to the core of where they went wrong as the father relives the memory of different portions of his life. Experiences which made him an unlikable person. Bit of a road not taken, where did it all go wrong type story. Funnily enough, Sean Levy's directed The Adam Project, which is a similar sort of idea, actually. The whole idea of revisiting decisions that you made and 
science fiction ways, I suppose. With the idea of reverse aging, there's an obvious similarity with the curious case of Benjamin Button. But Benjamin Button was more of a love story, whereas this one was the one about family connections and looking at where people's connections to one another start to diverse and unravel. But with the way that this is going to work, it looks like it's giving people a second chance to figure out how things went wrong and then fix it, which I think has a potential for a great deal of poignancy. Yeah, it's more introspection through sci-fi, which tends to work really well, or it can work really well. Yes, which is what some of the best sci-fi actually is. Yeah, moving on, we have some more casting for The Meg 2, colon, The Trench. We have a few more people, Jason Statham, obviously returning. Sienna Gilroy, who was in Resident Evil, she's going to be in it. She was also in Clifford the Big Red Dog, which I've not seen. Skylar Samuels, who was in The Gifted, which we also talked about earlier, kind of. And Sergio Perez Manchita, who's in something called Snowfall. Plot details have been kept under wraps, but I imagine there's going to be a giant shark. Or more than one giant shark's. With the third guy, another more prominent role to point out was that he was in the most recent Rambo movie. Oh yeah, I saw that. That's about all I can say. He was the principal villain. Uh, was a drug cartel leader. Memorable. Yeah. He was also in one of the Resident Evil movies. Though he was kind of there to make up numbers. Which one? Afterlife. The fourth one. Okay. Though to be honest, after Extinction, they all kind of blur together. Who did he play? Did he play a video game character? Or was he just some guy? I think he was just some guy. We could look it up. Let's do that. To the internet. He was a character known as Angel. No idea. Was he in a Gilroy in that film? No, wasn't the one where she appeared at the end of it and she was now blonde and had that mind-control spider thing on her chest? Yeah, that sounds about right. Sure, let's oh, go with that. God, I can't remember. Doesn't matter. In this film, he's going to be the antagonist. Sienna Gilroy is going to be the head of an applied sciences division. And Skylar Samuels is an adventure-loving member of Statham's submarine crew. Okay. I liked the first Meg film. That was good fun. Jason Statham was fine. There's a bit in it where he sings, just keep swimming from finding Nemo. And that kind of lifted me out of the film because I didn't believe his character would know that song. But other than that, good film, good fun. Big giant shark action. Although they failed to capitalise on some of the stuff that was apparently in the book. Apparently the book opens with Meg eating a T-Rex. Somehow? It does, yes. Why didn't we get to see that? I know, I was very disappointed, actually. Instead, we got Big Jaws. That's essentially what we got. Ruby Rose was in that film as well. Yes, the honest cast that was very internationally diverse, while at the same time the film being painfully pandering to a Chinese market. Yes, but that happens. Doesn't matter. Anyway, The Meg, The Trench. I'm sure I'll enjoy it for what it is, which is silly, shark-infested fun. Exactly. We don't need to see or read anything about it to know what we're getting. Despite the fact that we're talking about it. Next up, we have Luke Spark, director of sci-fi actioner Occupation, is set to write and direct an adaptation of Ethan Pettus' Primitive War, a sci-fi military book series as a sci-fi horror pick. Set in Vietnam in 1968, the Primitive War movie will follow search and rescue team known as Vulture Squad, sent to an isolated jungle valley to reveal the fate of a missing Green Beret platoon. As they hunt through the primordial depths of the valley and the casualties mount, the Vulture Squad members must embrace their savage instincts to survive the horrors they face, including the ultimate apex predators, dinosaurs. I hadn't read this article before t- tonight, and that ended in a way that I did not expect. I did not expect it to just throw me dinosaurs. Yeah. When I was reading the first couple of sentences, I was thinking, this is Predator. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's Predator, but with dinosaurs. But with dinosaurs. Which I'm okay with. Because dinosaurs. Yeah. So I'm on board with this, to be honest. Conceptually, Vietnam War movie with dinosaurs. Not a lot more you can say about it, but... 
not what more you could ask from it either. Although that last film, Occupation Rainfall, was apparently pretty terrible. I haven't seen that one. I did see First Occupation, which was just a pretty mediocre and generic alien invasion movie. And the only real notable thing about it was the fact that Tamira Morrison was in it. But I thought it him, not really anything to recommend it. Fair enough. Ah, cat! I thought that was you howling. I could have sworn it would be you. How'd you guess? I'm just... I know how the howling sounds. (laughs) I make it my business to know how everyone on my podcast howls. I make it my business to know how they sound when they do that. It was indeed me. So while you're here, we might as well talk about this recently announced Teen Wolf movie. Paramount Plus, they've dropped a lot of stuff. They're doing a lot of stuff. Some of which is being talked about elsewhere on this very news podcast but this one specifically Teen Wolf they are doing a movie this was previously announced you actually appeared to talk about the fact that they were thinking about doing this a few months ago here you are keeping up with the Teen Wolf updates I imagine there'll be more before it comes out it's been reported on Variety that the film was in the works in September 2021 so that's when we last talked about it and now it's definitely happening Teen Wolf creator Jeff Davis will write and executive produce the film the returning cast includes Tyler Posey, Holland Roden, Shelley Hennig, Crystal Reed, Orny Adams, Bobby Finstock, Lyndon Ashby, J.R. Bourne, Seth Gilliam, Colton Haynes, and Ryan Kelly. Oh, and Melissa Ponzio as well, who's also playing a character called Melissa. That must have been really easy for her. Yes. <laughs> Dylan Sprayberry is back as well. Dylan O'Brien, Arden Cho, and Tyler Hecklin are not currently attached to the project. Additional names will be announced at a later date. And the film is about a terrifying evil emerges in Beacon Hills. The wolves are howling once again, calling for the return of banshees, were-coyotes, hellhounds, kitsunis, and every other shapeshifter in the night. But only a werewolf like Scott McCall, Tyler Posey, no longer a teenager yet still an alpha, can gather both new allies and reunite trusted friends to fight back against what could be the most powerful and deadliest enemy we've ever faced. Basically, that means nothing to me. So, what do you think? (laughs) All right, so right off the bat, what I will say is not surprising that Dylan O'Brien and Tyler Hecklin, at the very least, are not attached to the project yet. Hecklin is busy being Superman right now, so I don't know what his contractual obligations are and how busy he is and where they're filming and where the Teen Wolf movie is going to film and if that's going to be a possibility. Arden Cho, I'm not sure what she's up to at the moment. It would be cool to have all of these people back. I don't know what a Teen Wolf movie (laughs) is going to be like without Steric, without Styles and Derek. The fandom is just going to be like, no Steric, I'm not watching. Whatever. (laughs) Truly, genuinely, they drove the engagement with show when it was airing, what got me to watch was how the fans were talking about Styles and Derek. Oh my god, come see the show, it's super gay. And I was like, yes, <laughs> talk to me about the gay werewolves. Styles is not a werewolf, but in any case, they were part of a pretty major queer baiting movement that was happening in the early 2010s. Supernatural is the other major <laughs> player mm-hmm. in that field. So I don't know what the appeal will be without these two very, very major characters. That being said, there are some people returning who left the show, I think, after season four. A bunch of people left then. So it's interesting to see them here listed as returning as their original characters. Spoilers for you, because you haven't seen it, but if anybody's listening to this who's seen Teen Wolf, they'll know what I'm talking about, which is that Alison Argent died pretty spectacularly because Crystal Reed won it out. Okay. 
She thought she could make it in the big leagues in the movies or whatever. How do I know who she is? So that worked out for her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's all I was going to say. And so it's interesting to see her here listed as Allison again. So I wonder what that means timeline-wise. Flashbacks. Flashbacks, or maybe they'll bring her back in some form. Everything's fair game in a supernatural show, right? Shape like shifting, people, whatever, who knows? Yeah, yeah people anything. could absolutely come back. And then the other interesting return is Colton Haynes as Jackson Whittemore. As you and I have talked about before, uh, he left the show for Arrow, where he was quite successful, I hear. <laughs> I've never seen it. <laughs> yeah, he was prominent in three seasons of the show, really. And then he left and he would come back now and again. Yeah, he left Teen Wolf and they wrote him out as having moved away. So his character could absolutely come back. He's still alive in universe. So it'd be interesting him just returning to his hometown because Scott has called them for whatever reason. There's some names still missing from the list. People who left for Vampire Diaries and some (laughs) such. Or Vampire Diaries spinoffs, actually. (laughs) So not even the original Vampire Diaries. So yeah, like you say, the description of the film is kind of your typical, oh no, you guys, we need to gather. There is another supernatural threat, which is par for the course for any supernatural show like that yeah so that's fine with me no problems from this fan but i am just a little bit like ah just get (laughs) dylan what's teen wolf without styles people just won't watch your movie come on and also the side note of it all is that this is on paramount plus which is of course not available here it will be by the end of quarter two apparently because there's a big stink around star trek which talk about again elsewhere in this podcast Uh, of course yeah discovery and everything yeah yeah exactly so it's another streaming service it's going to be looked onto sky in the uk i believe i don't know about anywhere else so anyone that's listening outside of the uk and the us i have no idea what they're planning to do with it but it is rolling out internationally i think it's something you can either subscribe to by yourself or if you have sky you can get it added onto your sky subscription Oh, I, I don't know if you save any money that way, but that's what's going to happen. But it's going mm-hmm. to be another bloody streaming service, which is annoying. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right now we're collectively at this crossroads. It's the cable conversation, but online. Yeah. Just adding this package and that package and this group of channels and that whatever. Yeah, we're all just paying for various packages. And at some point, something's got to give. I had now TV for Sky things, and I just wasn't using it. So I just discontinued it and the good thing about that one and i suppose most of them is that you can just drop them after a month or whatever so if there's something that you really want to see you can just sign up for a month or two watch the things you want to watch and then unsubscribe or share accounts which some people do yeah and and they make purviews for that disney plus etc you can legally do that without the netflix password conundrum (laughs) yeah which is still not affecting us in the uk actually technically but i could see that changing so we'll see in terms of is that going to drive up subscriptions i'm sure they're hoping that all of this original content is going to make people want to access paramount plus I don't know that I would specifically for Teen Wolf (laughs) as much as my heart is with those kids, but we'll see. I say kids, they're mostly my age. (laughs) You'll find a way to see it, though, without necessarily subscribing. I'm not going to say how. I am sure that there will be a way. I like to support things legally. If it's the sort of thing that I have to wait for because the service isn't here yet, but it will be in a few months. I'm not burning (laughs) to watch it immediately. It'd be nice, but... 
fandom has had a snooze. So I think all of us are just kind of like, okay. <laughs> I'm guessing by the time they make this, because they've only just announced it, Paramount Plus will be long out internationally. Yeah, by the time they've made the film and everything, yeah. I, I suspect that is true. Yeah, I mean, it's not coming out next month, right? It's coming out at some point. Hmm. I would be surprised if they're not approaching Dylan O'Brien at the moment and they're just sort of negotiating because he has some draw, doesn't he? Yeah, he absolutely has some draw. And the other thing is, he is very free. He released some YouTube videos (laughs) that are (laughs) obviously comedic in nature, but they play on the fact that he is out of war. And it's just him in his car singing and talking to himself and kind of having a nervous breakdown because he's an out-of-work actor. Especially thinking about A his incredible talent because i think he's one of those incredibly talented no training but just natural charisma kind of actors sure and teen wolf is what propelled him forward but then he was pretty good in the maze runner films even though those films were not exactly great but in any case they tried their best i think that was the last thing i saw him in was the third one I'm probably sure. yeah. another one where he played an assassin i seem to remember he was fighting holograms oh american assassin i think that's the one yes thank you i just did not have it in me for that kind of military propaganda nonsense but i just really think that he deserves more work because he is brilliant and i think that there's a lot of great things that he can do and the fans would really appreciate it. Now, the other question is, what's his price tag and is he too expensive? Mm. In the same vein as Tyler Hecklin, I wonder if he's too expensive for for Paramount Plus now. That's the other question And again, who knows? It depends how much money they want to throw at these things because it seems like they're throwing serious coin at these things. Look at Star Trek, look how much money they're spending on that at the moment. That's very, very true, yeah. So maybe money is no object in that sense. If they feel like there's money to be made here, then they can absolutely throw money at it originally. Yeah, yeah. Some of these actors I've heard of in passing, J.R. Bourne, he was in The 100, and I thought he was very good in that, actually. It's a show I really liked. Yeah, he's great. Holland Roden, I've only heard of her in the context of people fan-casting her as Mary Jane for Spider-Man stuff, basically because she has red hair. That's the only <laughs> reason that people were fan-casting her as yeah. Mary Jane. She's very good. I, I could see her as Mary Jane, actually, very easily. Yeah, because she has red hair. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and also, she's a good actor, and Kirsten Dunst wasn't the best Mary Jane that I could think of. I think Holland Roden would actually be a better casting choice. Not, obviously, in the early 2000s. I think she'd be too young, but if they were to make that now, she'd make a very good traditional redhead Party comic girl. book Mary Jane. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. But the rest of them, I don't know, really. And will I watch this? No, because I haven't seen the whole series. <laughs> and I'm probably not going to now. Do you not have time in your heart for six seasons of Teen Wolf? (laughs) (laughs) I know it's not made by the CW, but it sounds very CW. It's a very CW feeling. Yes, it is. MTV? MTV, yeah. And I think something that worked in its favor for being an MTV show was that the soundtrack was very interesting indie bands, stuff that we may not have heard yet but they have their ear to the ground for all these new acts that are emerging in all these different markets and the soundtrack was fantastic i just remember being like wow okay this is why you make it on mtv because then you have free reign over an incredible list of just what music do you want that is hip with the kids down with the youth spelt y-o-o-f Yeah, the CW would not have had the same kind of approach, I think, to the music supervision of a show like that. 
Maybe not. I suppose it depends on the showrunner more than anything else. That too, yeah. But yeah, it had a very good approach to the music that they would use on it and how that affected the mood and the atmosphere of the show was very good. So it just depends if the fandom remains rabid or not. Yeah, we'll see. Perhaps there's a Teen Wolf renaissance on the horizon. I'm down for that. I just have to throw in the rabid reference. There's a whole reason I brought this story in, just to make that comment. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, Craig. (laughs) (laughs) But cool. So you're tentatively excited about it then. Absolutely. It's where we're landing on this. Fair enough. I won't ever watch this, but I'm sure (laughs) you will talk about it at some point. I'm sure I will. On a news thing or whatever. I don't think we've got anyone else on the podcast that could sustain an episode of a Teen Wolf-based episode. Alas, I believe that. Actually, I think Andrew may have watched it, which is hilarious because I've cut away from him to talk to you. But yeah, thanks for coming on and waxing lyrical about Teen Wolf once again. It's always appreciated. As always, thank you for letting me wax lyrical. (laughs) Anytime. So if you have nothing else to say, you can just howl and scamper off. A woo and farewell. Next up is another adaptation. Fox is developing Joe Hill's upcoming horror novel, The Fireman. They're adapting books that aren't even out yet. Yeah. Which we've discussed on previous episodes. This just seems mental. And also as an unpublished author, I find personally insulting. <laughs> Do you think I could sell a book that I'm writing honest to a movie studio? Well, maybe if you're Stephen King's son, you could. This is true. Anyway, Louis Leterrier, who directed The Incredible Hulk, a film that I quite like as well. He's going to be doing that. Hill's book, set to be published in May, takes place amid a worldwide plague of spontaneous combustion, giving rise to ruthless cremation squads, oh my God, to exterminate those <laughs> who they believe carry the spore. The titular fireman is a madman afflicted with dragon scale who has learned to control that fire within himself, using it as a shield to protect the hunted and as a weapon to avenge the wronged. That sounds dumb as hell. And I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. I haven't read very much of, of Joe Hill stuff. No one has. He just adapts them into films before they come out. The one that I read was Horns, which was also adapted into film with Daniel Radcliffe, as well as that, there was one called Heart Shaped Box, which was about this ageing rock musician who received his coffin in the post, something like that. One of my issues with Hill's writing is that it's painfully derivative of his father, both in content and style. And as enjoyably stupid as a fireman actually sounds like, I think the timing is a little unfortunate because it will likely end up being compared to Firestarter. Yeah, which seems like it would be better. Exactly. Interesting. So it just seems like you're ending up with a story, a pale imitation of another one, written by a guy who is a pale imitation of the man who sired him. You really sold it to me there. (laughs) (laughs) I can get a bit overly cynical when it it comes to horror novels. Fair play. That is your jam. Next story is Tom Welling is going to be in something. He's going to be in something called Deep Six, an action thriller from writer-director Scott Winshauser. In the film, which will begin shooting in Rome in April, Terry, Tom Welling, is released early from prison, only to be forced to go undercover to take down the Cosa Nostra in Italy. On his first day, his fellow six-man undercover unit is taken out. Terry must ride shotgun all day with a psychopath killer who may know he is working for the police. It doesn't really sound up my alley much, but it seems a weird project for Tom Welling as well, who doesn't do much. So it's 
kind of weird that he's ended up in this. The thing that stuck out most to me about this was the title kept on making me think of a film called Deep Star Six, which was basically a subaquatic knockoff of Alien made in the late 80s, which itself got overshadowed by another movie called Leviathan, which was also a subaquatic knockoff of Alien, released in the late 80s, but was considerably better. As for this film, despite the premise of being embroiled in the world of organised crime, it sounds like it's going to focus more on unease and tension rather than actual action sequences, which could have the potential to be more interesting to watch. Sometimes you might not be certain that you're going to get what you think you are. I always thought Tom Welling would be better off doing a bit more comedy because particularly in the last couple of years of Smallville when him and Erica Durant were doing this bickering dance when they worked at the Daily Planet as Clark and Lois, they were both very funny. And Tom Welling has good comic timing, so I'm surprised that he hasn't capitalised on that in any way. Even in Lucifer, he managed to jump into that and blend in with the tone there as well. I'd like to see him be funny. He's too serious too much of the time. And it would just be quite nice every now and then to have a break from that. Yeah, lighten up, Tom. Come on. Maybe this will be a comedy. Who knows? Doesn't sound like it. Anyway, next up, another actor that we like to follow might be getting more work. Melissa Benoist could be teaming with Greg Berlanti again, sort of. There's a TV series called The Girls on the Bus that's going to be at HBO Max, which is, as I mentioned, executive produced by Greg Berlanti. It was announced that The Girls on the Bus has received a straight-to-series order at HBO Max after previously being set up at the CW and Netflix. The series is inspired by a chapter in Amy Chozik's book Chasing Hillary. The show is described as a comedic character-driven drama that chronicles four female journalists who follow every move of a parade of flawed presidential candidates while finding friendship, love and scandal along the way. Presumably Benoist will play one of the journalists. So yeah, Melissa Benoist getting more work. Yay. I'll watch it. Despite the fact that maybe it doesn't sound necessarily at my cup of tea. But still, she's in it. So therefore, that is enough for me to give it a look. Sounds like reasonable reasoning to me. Rose McIver, ghosts, same logic. (laughs) If actors I like are in stuff, I'll usually give it a shot. You get my loyalty if I like you as an actor. Isn't that comforting, perhaps? If she had any idea who I was? I'm sure it would be. Okay, let's move on. So Zack Snyder's Star Wars, also known as Rebel Moon, has announced its full cast. Sophia Patella was recently announced as being the lead, but also in it is going to be Charlie Hudham, Jimon Honsu, if that's how you pronounce it, Ray Fisher, Duna Bay, Jenna Malone, Staz Nair, E. Duffy, Charlotte Magi, or Maggie, and Sky Yang. Ray Fisher was cyborg, and Jenna Malone was in... Batman v Superman, but only the extended version. Stasnair, who was in Supergirl, so we've got another link there. So he's working with some people he did before. As we know, or maybe as we don't know, Rebel Moon is described as a grand fantasy adventure. The script, which Snyder co-wrote, follows an enigmatic young woman, Sophia Butella, who is given the responsibility by a peaceful colony on the outskirts of the galaxy to find warriors who can fend off an impending invasion by the despotic regent Balisarius. So it's, it's happening and it's going to be a big thing and Zack Snyder's going to be doing it. So I'll give it a look because I like Zack Snyder's stuff and it's a good cast. At least some of them are good. Yeah. So a few years ago, I would have been really interested in something like this. <laughs> the problem is that I have become completely soured towards anything Zack Snyder related now. Nothing to do with the man himself or filmmaking, though I do have issues where we go into, but it's all to do with the whole Snyder Cut cultists and constant entitled whining and persecution complex that they seem to display. And their obsession with Snyder and their belief that he's some kind of cinematic 
Allfather, who every single frame in every single one of his movies is an identifiable original concept to be practically bowed down and worshipped to. <laughs> and that any single thing in any other film that bears even the most slightest superficial similarity is directly stolen from him, and it's a personal insult to not acknowledge his genius in every word that you speak, and I just cannot take it anymore. That's fair. Yeah, he does come with some fan baggage, but I like his stuff. I'm not going to say he's perfect. In fact, I thought Army of the Dead was really bad. I didn't like it at all. It was. I've liked... Dawn of the Dead, Watchmen, Man of Steel, Batman v Superman, his Justice League movie, which is way better than the other Justice League movie, but still not perfect. And there are things that the other Justice League movie does better. If you want to hear me talk about it, listen to the Snyder Cut episode. We went into some detail and I feel like I gave both films a fair shake. And that's what I try to do and what I do. But never mind. I've pretty much liked most of the things that he's done. Sucker Punch? Yeah, I like Sucker Punch, actually. Which Jenna Mullen was also in. Yeah, that's right. The thing about Sucker Punch is, I think it's a cleverer movie than it gets credit for, but I also don't think it presents how clever it is very well. It's very strange in that way. You have to really dig into what it's trying to do, but it is clearly trying to do something. The title Sucker Punch is referring to what the movie is doing to you, but again, it doesn't come through clearly enough. You have to really grind at it to find it, but it is there. The extended version is even better. Plus, it's just nuts with it. Well, it's crazy action sequences. Is that when you one scene you've got a girl battling a giant mecha with a katana, then you've got like an army of zombified World War One soldiers or something, and that's when you're trying to infiltrate a dragon's nest. It's just like a big mash of mental ideas. Yeah, it's good fun. That I wish I could enjoy as much as there is potential for, but I'm unable to for reasons I have just articulated. Maybe one day we'll podcast about it and dig into it. Could be fun. Yep. You sound enthusiastic. We'll discuss it. It's just the residual irritation of even just explaining my problems with those people. But it'll be a safe space. At any rate, let's move on. (laughs) Chris Pine is going to be directing a film and starring in it called Pool Man. It's about a man called Darren Barrenman, who Pine will play a hapless dreamer and would-be philosopher who spends his days looking after the pool of the Tahitian Tiki apartment block in sunny Los Angeles and crashing city council meetings with the neighbours Jack and Diane, Danny DeVito and Annette Benning. When Barrenman uncovers the greatest water heist in LA history since Chinatown, he makes uneasy alliances with a beautiful and connected femme fatale while following every lead he can with corrupt city officials, burned out Hollywood types and mysterious benefactors, all in the name of protecting his precious Los Angeles. Okay. Again, this was one of those articles that I didn't fully read before coming here and it did not go in the direction I expected. It sounds like it's aiming for the aesthetics of a 50s noir movie. But utterly demented. Yeah, I like Chris Pine, so it'll be interesting to see what he's like as a director as well. This is the kind of story that he's chosen to do as his, as his first feature, then. It's obviously something that he's going to have a great deal of personal passion for. And I would assume that would come through in how he directs it. Most likely. So I would think that even if it's not a particular style of film that your interest might be worth checking out anyway, on the basis of seeing just how much love has been poured into it. Mm-hmm. Okay, moving on. And this is one that I predicted correctly, although I don't think I should really be credited for being able to predict this correctly because it makes money, so therefore do other one. They're going to do another Scream movie. The most recent one was successful, 
and we got to do it again. I don't see why not. The last one was, it's all right. I d- ended up not reviewing it because I didn't feel like I had an awful lot to say about it. Although I did appear on the Real Talk episode over and we made this talking about it. And it was quite good. The way it sort of jabbed at toxic fandom and things like that. I don't think it completely knew what it was saying about those things, but it was fun to see it explored in some way. So they're doing another one. It's the same team that did the last one, unsurprisingly. Whether they'll drag the characters from the previous films in or not is unknown. I really hope not because it's a bit played out by this point. How many we're ending this once and for all stories can you really tell with those characters? Apparently at least six. Yeah, another one. Sure. I'm sure it'd be okay. I know some people would rather they just make one of these every 15, 20 years to capitalise on the latest trend, but that's not what they're doing here. And that's the why I'm, I'm a little bit wary about it. Because right from the inception in the mid-90s, its very purpose has been to give a meta-commentary on the current trends in horror films. Which is why there was so long between Scream 3 and Scream 4. I guess after making a film playing on, on the tropes of trilogy conclusions, there wasn't really anything more to say until there was a trend in horror films for remakes of beloved classics, which was the concept of, of the fourth one, because the idea of it while being a continuation was also kind of a remake as well. And similarly, there were so long between four and five, because it took that long for another distinctive trend to emerge. The idea of legacy sequels, of telling an ostensibly new story while also incorporating characters and ideas from the original installment. Because we recently had things like Halloween and Candyman and just the other week, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And while I I thought the most recent film actually was pretty good, I'm a little bit sceptical in what more they can actually have to say. Because there isn't anything especially distinctive in the horror field that a sixth film would be able to incorporate without just looking like a shameless cash grab. It is possible that another screen movie could be made to actually seem like that, to actually look like that in and of itself, but that wouldn't necessarily stop it from just being a bad film. There was only made to make money. Yeah, it's just been commissioned for the sake of being commissioned at this point. I'm guessing it'll be, we'll figure out what this is actually about later, rather than actually having an idea. It's not surprising that they're doing this. I really hope they don't try and drag Nave Campbell and so on into it this time. If you're going to do it, then just let these newer characters take it forward. I'm just not sure if that is what they would do, though. Just because, as a series, Scream is quite unusual in having actual characters continue to appear throughout the series. Because with most slasher franchises, it's the masked killer who is the one that carries it, rather than the featured heroes. So to carry on with new characters, it would certainly be a logical choice for making a decent film, but it wouldn't be what Scream films are about. Though the torch has kind of been passed to them, so it would be doable, I think. I would, I'm just not sure how well it would work though. I guess you'll find out whether you want to or not. Right now the only thing I can think of that they might do is the, the thing that was briefly talked about in, in the last film was the quote unquote elevated horror. Maybe. Yeah. Which is a term I despise so much. <laughs> it's not a real description of films. It's a term for basically pretentious snobs who don't actually watch or like horror films but came across one with ideas that they liked and so they required something to deal with the cognitive dissonance of actually enjoying something that they considered to be throwaway trash. I did recently re-watch the whole series before seeing the new one. I did that too, yeah, I watched all four of them. I hadn't seen four before, or most of three I don't think. Although I remembered bits of three. Either I hadn't paid that much attention or hadn't seen it all. I'd seen the first three, I don't know how many times. Though I'd actually only watched the fourth one once when it was in the cinemas. Also, when it came out, I was 
considerably more precious about what I consider to be unnecessary continuations of franchises, and so didn't really give it a fair chance. But this time around, I actually enjoyed it quite a bit more. Okay, a bit of distance from it helped. Yeah, part of the whole monologue. There, so. <laughs> okay. You needed to get it out, clearly. It needed to be said. So Scream 6 is happening, whether you want it to or not. We'll see how it shapes out in the coming months. They'll fast-track it and they'll bring it out pretty soon. Okay, our next thing. Peter Ramsey, who became the first black filmmaker to win the Animated Feature Academy Award as co-director of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, is looking to make a jump into live action with Blood Count, a period vampire thriller just scooped up by Paramount. Ramsey wrote the script as a spec and will direct a feature project, which is in early development. LeBron James and Maverick Carter's Spring Hill is on board to produce. Details have been kept in the coffin, said The Hollywood Reporter. How hilarious. It is described as a film noir social thriller set in 1950s LA with supernatural elements. Intriguingly, it is also said to be loosely inspired by the life of Ramsey's father, a jazz musician. Sounds a bit off the wall. Yeah, and just briefly touching on what I mentioned earlier about how easily vampire stories can feel very samey and generic. This one actually sounds quite interesting. Yeah, Vampire in LA. Where have I seen that before? Not in the 1950s. Actually, there was an episode of Angel where he was in the 1950s. There was a flashback to the 50s, so we have seen that before. But I'm sure this will be different. Not much to say about it. Sounds like it would be quite interesting. Into the Spider-Verse director. I'm already on board because... Love that movie. And, and he was also a director on Rise of the Guardians, another animated movie. It was all about the team-up between Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny and the Sandman and Jack Frost. Oh, cool. Oh, I haven't seen that one. I get the title confused with the Zack Snyder Owl one, though. Oh, yeah. Legend of the Guardians, I think it was called. Yeah. It's pretty good, actually. The Owls of Galahul or something like that. I think you're right. I think that's exactly what it's called. It's pretty good. But it has nothing to do with this guy, <laughs> other than me getting the titles confused. Next up, we have A Quiet Place star Nora Jupe and Oscar nominee Benedict Cumberbatch have been set to star in a new Justin Kurzel project called Morning. The film is set in a near future where society has a pill that does away with the need to sleep. I could get so behind that. I would love that. Imagine how much yep. editing I could get done and stuff. With the added help of an artificial sun, there is no end to morning daylight. However, as a young generation grows up deprived of the world of sleep, they consider rebelling to reclaim their dreams. It basically sounds exactly like how that thing should go. <laughs> Interesting idea, though. Yeah, it's a good sci-fi idea. What if we didn't need to sleep? How would people react to that? Would they want to sleep? How about we meet a middle ground? You can sleep if you want, but you don't have to. Job done. Solved it. Boom. End of movie. Roll credits. Exactly. Again, to talk about Angel, do you remember the episode of Angel where Lauren had his sleep removed and they kept projecting psychic impulses to other people? That's two Angel references and two stories. How did I manage that? Quite impressive, actually. Laura Dern's going to be in it as well. I somehow missed that part. But interesting idea. It depends on the execution, as with everything else. Basically, it will spend a couple hours exploring why this is a really bad idea. Yeah, and I can only assume that one of those ideas won't be because if you don't sleep, you go insane. Well, that's what the pill would stop, I suppose. I would assume so, yeah. But yeah, I could get so much done if I didn't need to sleep. It'd be great. I could get so much more watched. <laughs> we could watch all this stuff that we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good three or four hours a night. I could get back. I don't sleep very well. Yeah, that's depressing. Let's not go into that. Let's not open that floodgate. 
Let's move on. Shane Black and Robert Downey Jr. will reunite for a new Parker movie at Amazon. Downey Jr. will play professional criminal Parker in the seventh film based on Stark's <laughs> novels. They include 1967's Point Blank, 1968's The Split, 1973's The Outfit, 1983's Slayground, 1999's Payback, and 2013's Parker starring Jason Statham, which I have not seen. Is that the one that Stallone wrote for him? Or is that something else? Don't think so. Okay. It was a pretty generic action movie about a career criminal doing violent things to other career criminals. Sounds about right up Jason Statham Street. Exactly. Okay. Shane Black, Robert Downey Jr., give it a go. And given that it is something written by Shane Black, I can only assume that for some reason it will be set during Christmas. Yeah, why not? Might as well. Because everything he writes is set at Christmas. Even if it has nothing to do with the story. Not Predators, that wasn't. Or The Predator, that was his. Predators was a good one. The Predator was awful. That wasn't set at Christmas, at least I don't think it was. Uh, did, did he write that? I, I, I thought he was just a script doctor on that. No idea. But he directed it and it was awful. Let's not go near that pretty dreadful. Anyway. Moving on. The Fallout, as in based on the video games, Fallout has a lead. Walton Goggins has been cast in the lead role. Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy will be dealing with it, with Nolan to direct the premiere. Details about Goggins' character are not revealed, but he's believed to be playing a ghoul. In Fallout, ghouls are mutated humans who experience prolonged radiation exposure amid the Great War. I haven't really played the Fallout games, but I like Walton Goggins... This will be something that comes on and people will talk about watching it, but I won't be watching it. That feels like one of those things. I managed to completely miss Fallout when it was first released, despite the whole post-apocalyptic sci-fi RPG kind of thing being practically tailor-made for me. But in the mid to late 90s, gaming-wise, I was a lot more focused on Baldur's Gate and things that came out as a result of that. And sort of similar fantasy RPGs like Icewind Dale and Planescape Torment and Neverwinter Nights. So I thought it was something I actually never played and always meant to, but again, never got around to it. I had Fallout 3 on the PlayStation 3. I didn't get very far into it before I got bored and put it away. So it's not really for me. I know people love them. I think Chris plays them or has done, but... Yeah, I'm not a huge fan. It's a post-apocalyptic world as well. How many of them have we seen? I will probably won't give it a go, but yeah, give it a go. Make it, see what happens. And just hope it's not as boring as The Walking Dead became. Well, yeah, that would be good. In other video game news, Bioshock is getting a film adaptation at Netflix. No one has been hired to make it yet. They've just said that they're going to be doing it. Bioshock is another game that I haven't really played very much of. I started the first one and got bored and put it away. So very much the same situation here. But there's nothing to say about it. They've just decided that they're making it without giving us any more details. Again, it's not a game I've played either, but because I wasn't really much of a gamer by the time it was released, because I'd become far more focused on film and TV and I didn't have much time for games anymore. Yeah, it's a fascinating world though, the underwater stuff. Aesthetically, it looks like something I would absolutely love, but again, just never quite get around to actually experiencing it firsthand. Just watch a Let's Play on YouTube and you'll get to see it. I keep meaning to and then keep forgetting him. There's a good twist at the end, actually. I know about that. I'm not going to say okay. what it is in case people don't know what it is, but it's got a good twist at the end. I know that I've said there's a twist at the end. It's probably going to ruin your Let's Play experience. I will try to just watch things as are happening and not try to predict too far ahead. Fair enough. Cool. Okay, next up, Forrest Gump trio Tom Hanks, Robert Zemeckis and Eric Roth are teaming up for a graphic novel adaptation of here. The graphic novel here is centered in one room and focuses on the many people who inhabit it over years and years, from the past to the distant future. It'll be a big ticket film with a lot of heart, and that's about all it says. Those three people are involved. Sounds like an interesting concept. I haven't read the book, 
me neither. I did read up a little bit on it, and one thing that slightly confused me was that the time frame that it runs from is 500 billion BC to 2033. It's quite a range. And especially since the universe is only 47 billion years old. Well, not this universe. So I'm not entirely clear how that time frame actually comes into play. It might have some kind of significance, but I'd need to actually read it to find out. Maybe you can do that one day. The comic itself uh, looks visually quite interesting. Quite often there's panels overlapping other panels that highlight how this point looked at different times of our history. Not just from when there's a house there and an actual room there, but also animals in the wilderness. Again, not quite clear on how that coalesces into something that can actually be read. But I think it would be interesting to find out, though. Yeah, it does sound pretty cool. Next up is Skydance Animation has acquired the rights to make Ray Gunn. That will be the next animated film by writer-director Brad Burt. It doesn't say anything about what this is, but it's a story he came up with by himself. He wrote a script with Matthew Robbins. I really like Brad Burt's stuff, so if he's come up with an idea, I want to see what it is. I was a little bit frustrated about that article was a bit spot on detail, so I did a little bit of digging and found like a basic outline of what the script originally was. You've done more work than I have. This was from when Bradbury originally wrote it in the 90s. Okay. So it's about like this guy who's the last human PI in a world populated by humans and aliens, and he is hired to investigate a pop singer when she is suspected of adultery, but the singer's body double ends up being killed, which he ends up being blamed for, and then has to prove his innocence. In terms of the actual setting, it seemed a bit like Tomorrowland in regards of being retro-futuristic kind of sci-fi that you don't really see very much anymore. Kind of like a Buck Rogers style thing. But that merged with the sort of downtrodden, gritty misery of detective noir from the 50s. And I do think as a concept, that could be quite interesting to watch, just to see how it plays out, really. Yeah, good for you for doing the research that I didn't bother doing. But as I frequently (laughs) say, I am bad at my job. There's proof. (laughs) But yeah, Brad Bird doing stuff that I will, of course, give it a watch. Always a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this next one that sounds great, John Cena is going yes. to be in a film called Coyote vs. Acme. Basically, the film is about a down-in-his-luck human lawyer who takes on Wiley Coyote as a client in a lawsuit against Acme over its defective products, only to discover that his boss at his former law firm is representing Acme. John Cena will play the former boss in the feature, which seems like part courtroom drama, part family comedy. That sounds insane it does and it sounds brilliant the perfect feature for john cena really it actually reminds me of a family guy joke where peter works at acme and wiley kite is complaining about getting launched into a mountain or something like that and it's like no refunds and it's like what do you mean oh it's, yes it's like, could probably give you a store credit <laughs> so i guess that's what keeps happening i'll find the joke and i'll put it in the show notes if i can find it if not watch Family Guy until you find it. I don't know when it was, but it was a thing. There was a comedy New Yorker article that the film is apparently based on, which was actually quite a fun read, because it's basically describing the content of various roadrunner cartoons, but in very dry and formal legal speak. <laughs> and it's the dissonance between very prim and proper jargon being used to relate things like spring-loaded boots not working properly, <laughs> or a rocket blowing up in your face. It's just joyfully ridiculous. You'll need to send me the link to that to put in the show notes and for me to read it as well. And just while I was reading it, one thing it it kind of randomly reminded me of was a thing written by John Scalzi, a sci-fi author, which was an interview with Santa's lawyer. (laughs) 
a similar kind of thing, using that kind of language to describe bizarre, otherworldly things. One specific thing I remember was about Santa receiving royalties for people dressing up as Santa during sex games. (laughs) Oh dear. With the reasoning that Santa does not judge people for the kinks, but he does think they should pay for them. (laughs) That's pretty good. Put that in the show notes too. I'll try and find that. So John Cena as a lawyer in this weird animated crossover thing. It'll be good fun. Works for me. Yeah, absolutely. Next up, A Quiet Place 3 is officially in the works with a target release date of 2025. No indication of who's writing or directing it, but it probably will be John Krasinski again. The pig director is still doing the spin-off, whatever that'll be. So we're getting a third one. I feel like The Quiet Place concept is a bit played out in a few ways because it's one of those things that works great the first time but then you're just doing it again and again i think as a developing concept it's come to its conclusion but as an ongoing story i think there's a little bit more to tell with the the way the second one ends spoilers for the next 30 odd seconds when you have humanity figuring out how to actually weaponize the audio feedback this alien's weakness the third movie could involve the humans taking the fight to the aliens and winning the planet back Yes, narratively, sure. I thought the second one was okay, but just kind of okay. These high-concept horror things, they crop up every now and again, and you love them at the time. A Quiet Place. You were in the same screening I was when we saw it the first time, remember? Yes, yeah. And it was weird, because I remember walking in, there was this guy with a big bag of popcorn, and... I remember thinking, this guy is going to be the worst during this. But even he was shamed into silence throughout the experience. Yep, and it was glorious, actually. Yeah, I remember there was a point where I just had to clear my throat. It had been bugging me for so long. Then I felt bad after I'd done it. It was the perfect viewing experience of that. And they're essentially just trying to recapture that. And there was that Netflix one that was about people being blind because whatever the threat had to see them or they had to see the threat. Bird box. That's the one. Yeah, I haven't actually seen it, but that was that. And then you've got things like It Follows where you have to stay just ahead of this thing that is slowly coming towards you and always slowly coming towards you. So you have these high concept things, and I don't think they've tried to do It Follows again. They probably have in some smaller, lesser known thing, but you know what I mean, though? When these high concept things come out, they work really well the first time, and then it's just diminishing returns after that, because you've already done it. You should be trying to find the next high concept thing to play with, rather than just doing the same thing again. does make sense, certainly, yeah. Though I still think just narratively there's... A little bit more you can do the quiet place before bringing it to an actual conclusion. Yeah, that's fair. And maybe it'll be good. Just depends what you actually do with the whole horror aspect of it, because how else can you come up with creative ways to avoid being heard and things? Especially if it's going to be more action-driven, if they are taking the fight to the aliens, presumably making noise will be less of a threat at that point. That's point, actually, yeah. Anyway, we'll see. They're making a third one. Next up, we have Eddie Izzard is going to be playing Dr. Nina Jekyll in a film called Dr. Jekyll. The film is a modern interpretation of Robert Louis Stevenson's iconic 1886 novella The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Joe Stevenson, director of Edinburgh and Busan-selected film Chicken and feature documentary McKellen playing the part directs. The film follows the reclusive Nina Jekyll finding friendship with her newly hired help, Rob, played by the emerging actor Scott Chambers, who must work together to prevent Hyde from destroying her life. So it's another Dr. Jekyll story. Yeah, with Eddie Izzard in it. Which I believe is the first thing that she's done since coming out as trans. You could be right. Yeah, I don't think I've seen anything she's done since that point. Okay, yeah. It's another Jekyll story. We really need another one? It's been long enough, probably. Yeah. Next thing, Disney Plus is going to be doing a live-action Goosebumps series. 
The new version, which has been in development since April 2020, does not follow on from the two movies, of which I've only seen one of them. Goosebumps combines teen comedy with horror, action, adventure, mystery, and a psychological thrill. The series follows a group of five high schoolers who unleash supernatural forces upon their town and must all work together thanks to, in spite of their friendships, rivalries and pasts with each other. In order to save it, learning much about their own parents' teenage secrets in the process. Sounds kind of like the film. Exactly, so not following on from the film, but very heavily inspired by them. Yeah, I liked the film. The first one, anyway. I haven't seen the second one. Yeah, actually, I, I liked them quite a bit more than I was expecting to. Is Jack Black in the second one? I couldn't figure that out because I didn't look too far into it. He is, but not as prominently as the first. I got the impression it was a it's a sequel, but not really a sequel. Pretty much, yeah. It's basically about a bunch of kids kind of figuring out what happened during the first movie and how to get all these monsters back again. All right, moving on. The 100 stars Eliza Taylor and Bob Marley, real-life married couple, are going to be in a sci-fi thriller called I'll Be Watching. The movie is currently filming in Atlanta and features Taylor playing a woman trapped inside her own home. When she is isolated in her home and is suddenly fighting for survival, she has to find a way to make it out alive with her tech expert husband, played by her real-life husband, Marley. And that's about it. I like them in The 100. I love The 100. It was a good show. And I like them in it. So will I watch this? Possibly. And it seems like a recurring thing of this podcast is me referencing the myriad things I have yet to actually find the time to get around to seeing. <laughs> yeah, you just need that pill to stop you sleeping. Yeah. The 100 is, again, one of those things that's always been at the back of my mind as something I should watch, but once again, fail to organise my life in an efficient enough manner to allow me to actually do so. Fair enough. Moving on, a new lineup of stars will be checking into the John Wick prequel series, The Continental. Joining the previously announced Colin Woodall, Mel Gibson, Hubert Point de Jour, Jessica Lane, Michelle Prada, Nun Kate and Ben Robson will be Katie McGrath. Well, hey, Supergirl reference. Ray McKinnon, Adam Shapiro, Mark Musashi and Marina Mazipa. I don't really know who most of them are, but it will serve as a prequel series to the John Wick blockbuster film franchise. The base films follow a highly trained assassin. Everyone knows John Wick is just the king of killing people. Picking up decades in the past, the Continental will follow the story of young Winston, now played by Woodall, and how he fell into owning the hotel. The series sets the owner up in a gritty 1970s New York City as he takes on the Big Apple one guest at a time. McGrath, who will play the adjudicator, previously appeared in the CW series Supergirl, which we already said. Basically, people are playing things in that TV show. I'm not going to read it all. I did a little bit of research about this to see whose people are. The more interesting ones was with Mark Masashi, who is primarily a stuntman. So announcing him as someone who's been cast in Continental likely means that whoever he's playing will do a great deal of fighting. And the final one, Marina Mazipa, she got sort of wrong pronunciation. She is a dancer and contortionist who in films is usually a creature performer rather than an actual actor. She's in the most recent Resident Evil movie. She was the one playing as Lisa Trevor. All right, okay. And she was also in Malignant as the entity Gabriel come to life. So... Plenty of stunt stuff for her then. So not sure if she'll actually be playing an actual person or if they're going into the realms of some kind of giant beast creature or something. In the John Wick universe, it'll be a person, I would imagine. So she'd likely be doing some very odd physical things. Yeah, cool. Probably give this a watch. I like the John Wick movies. Don't know that it necessarily needs a spin-off. 
certainly a prequel spin-off, but capitalise on it while it's popular, I suppose. Okay, moving on. Sony Pictures has acquired the rights to Shakti Man, which is an Indian superhero. There's a brief clip, which is kind of a trailer, but there's a description with the trailer. As darkness and evil prevail over humanity, it's time for him to return. And soon the Shakti Man symbol comes up and we get a glimpse of our superhero. While the face of Shakti Man is not revealed, makers do give a sneak peek of the most popular and loved superhero. The costume and physique of the people's hero seem to have evolved and matches up in the many action stars on screen. Indian superhero thing, I don't really know anything about this, but it seems like it could be good fun. wasn't a character I'm familiar with, but just from what I read, it basically seems like he's a Hindu version of Superman. Okay. He uh, gains superpowers through enhancing his chakras and taking in energy from primordial elements. And his principal purpose as a superhero is to battle evil and corruption, and his main weakness is a very specific type of crystal that renders him powerless. Which, to me, sounds very Superman-like. Sounds almost like an Indian rip-off of Superman, rather than the Indian version of Superman. <laughs> but let's not split hairs. No. Okay. Next up, Ridley Scott, amongst others, are developing a Blade Runner 2099 live-action sequel series. The Blade Runner universe... Well, there's an anime one that came out recently. There's all sorts of stuff. Obviously, the Denis Villeneuve film didn't make that much money, so they never made another one. So it's good to see that there's some attention being given to making more of this, if you're into that sort of thing. One particular aspect of it that's quite worthy of note is that the production company of the series is Alcon, which was the company that made The Expanse. So they certainly have very well-proven credentials in creating a TV version of a richly detailed sci-fi world. It's Amazon that are making it, so it should be very expensive and impressive. Yeah, that's certainly what it seems like to me. Yeah, and it'll maybe stop all us millennials looking at our phones. Ridley Scott. Was it him that said that? I think it was. Or millennials, is I think what he said. I just generally assume that uh, everyone born before a certain date has obnoxious preconceived presumptions of everyone born after a certain date. And I've stopped paying attention to exactly who is saying what. <laughs> Fair play. Moving on. Peacock are going to be doubling down on animated kids programming slate. I'm not going to read all of this because some of it skewed way younger than we might like to admit we watch stuff. But among <laughs> it, which stood out, is a sequel series to Megamind, which is a film I really liked. And the reason I wanted to draw attention to it, because the mascot of this very website, Neil designed by Isaac, is inspired by Megamind because I had an idea in my head of what I wanted the mascot to be and I couldn't think of it and then eventually I caught it down to Megamind and then Isaac went and created Neil. More Megamind <laughs> than people might feel like, hang on, that's a bit similar to this website's mascot. But it's not similar enough. I really, really enjoyed Megamind. Again, it was one that I was expecting to be a bit indifferent to, but yeah, I actually thought it was really, really good. And I think that having more of it and a chance to revisit that world is going to be a lot of fun. And I'm looking forward to it. You'll be the hero of Metrocity this time, as opposed to just becoming the hero of Metrocity. I wonder if they'll coax Brad Pitt back to voice <laughs> Superman. I forget the guy's name. He's Superman, but he's not Superman. Can't remember either. But yeah, basically. Approaching the end of our list now. My God. I never thought we'd get here. Amongst Paramount's glut of content they announced, one of them is a series of films centred on the villains of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles universe. A theatrical Ninja Turtles movie from Seth Rogen is set to be released in 2023. That's been known for a while, but the announcement of villain-driven movies is brand new. It's currently unknown if these movies will take place in the same universe as Rogen's, what villains will be featured, or even how many films there will be. 
So they just basically said, we're going to make some stuff. And everyone was like, cool. And then that was it. Presumably there'd be one about Shredder and so on. I don't know how much there is to say about the villains without the Ninja Turtles being around. Just going back to making similar points that we did about the Sony Spider-Man villain movies. Why are you making this? The answer may surprise you. Money, it won't surprise you at all. Because we can, and, and we can probably make a ton doing so. Yeah. Also announced at Paramount's investor conference, whatever thing, they revealed that Transformers Rise of the Beasts is the first of a trilogy, which seems presumptuous since they haven't made this yet and people haven't decided whether they want to watch it. Remember when Bumblebee was supposed to kickstart a whole new slate of continuity for Transformers and then it didn't make that much money, so then it didn't. Bumblebee was great, which is a shame, but stop putting the cart before the horse, Paramount. Yes, it was the best Transformers movie by far, but because it didn't largely consist of giant robots knocking the hell out of each other and Michael Bay's very lecherous camera work, it just didn't make as much money, which is absolutely criminal. I don't think that was really the reason it didn't make that much money. I think it just came too soon after the previous one, which everybody was sick of. By that point, I think when that one came out, it was, oh my God, I'm just numb to this. Also, when I saw that film the first time, I had one of the worst hangovers I've ever had, which really didn't help. <laughs> Sitting in IMAX watching that with a stinking hangover. Oof. Don't do it. Really bad idea. I've only seen it once since because I got it on Blu-ray and I watched it again. And it's a slog to sit through that one. The Last Night, whatever, the Arthurian one, weird. It's garbage. It's not very good. And I generally like the Transformers movies. I enjoyed at least two of them, which is two more than a lot of people have <laughs> enjoyed. Two or three of them. I think two of them. Yeah. And Bumblebee, I thought was great. It's E.T. or the Iron Giant with a Volkswagen Beetle, basically. And Haley Steinfeld, who everybody loves. Yeah, because she's brilliant. Yeah. Wouldn't get her to do it now, I suppose, but never mind. But yes, they're doing that. Also, there's going to be another Transformers animated series where they've ordered 26 episodes and it will debut later this year. Transformers in general, I, I can take it or leave it. I don't have anything specifically against the films getting made, but I'm really not that bothered one way or the other about them. I did enjoy Transformers as a kid, but not to the passionate extent as I did many other things. So it's not something that I've got as much nostalgia for as a lot of people do. I'll probably see it when it comes out, but I'm unlikely to expect much from it one way or the other. Fair, yeah. I wasn't hugely into Transformers when I was a kid, but I was the generation after Transformers, so it wasn't really something I was into. I was more watching things like Turtles and Power Rangers and stuff like that. That was more my era of kids' TV. So when the Michael Bay film came out, I watched it, and I thought it was really good, the first one, and the second one is painful. And then I liked the third one, and then the fourth one, also pretty painful. The fifth one, Hangover Notwithstanding pretty painful and then Bumblebee <laughs> really good and I've watched one of the more recent animated series which is the one that had Ernie Hudson in it doing a voice and that was all right but yeah I don't have a huge connection to it but the films as visual feasts they're pretty entertaining or some of them are when it gives you the visual feast when it doesn't it's well certainly in the Michael Bay ones it's really bizarre people doing bizarre things Shia LaBeouf shouting at you for a while etc or Mark Wahlberg just being yeah <laughs> yeah or Megan Fox pouting yeah or Mark Wahlberg's hot daughter who's underage. That was a thing. And whose boyfriend carries around a laminated excerpt of a legal loophole of why he can still have sex with her even though she's underage. That is just revolting. Yeah, also not a thing, apparently. Someone did the research. Not a thing. Oh, right. doesn't legally hold up. I'm not sure if that's actually worse. Because <laughs> I actually took the time 
to invent something like that. Or misinterpret something like that, maybe. I don't know. To justify perving over a child. But she's played by, I don't know, a 22-year-old or something, so is that worse? I don't know. Let's not get into it. Honestly, I've read too many of the same conversations about Euphoria to go through this again right now. Yeah, let's not get into it. Let's get into our last news item, which is yes. revealing some details about the Alien TV series. Basically, the timeline. There are some big surprises in store for the audience, apparently. Alien takes place before Ripley. It's the first story that takes place in the Alien franchise on Earth. So it takes place on our planet, right near the end of the century we are in. So 70 odd years from now. He added, Ripley won't be part of it or any of the other characters of Alien other than the Alien itself. Okay, I don't know what you're going to do with that. But I thought the whole point of Alien was that they never got anywhere near Earth until much later. But never mind. And just how many times can humanity have a first encounter with Xenomorphs? Loads, apparently. But Noah Hawley's doing it. He's good. So I've got some hope there. To be honest, that's about the only thing that's given me hope about it. wonder what his was never going to happen Star Trek movie would have been like. We'll never know. It would have been an experience, if nothing else. Yeah. Alien TV series set in the, the end of the 21st century. Early 22nd century. Wayland, Utani, Wayland, whatever. We've already had Wayland in Prometheus. I don't know. Will it be Amazon becomes Wayland? <laughs> and did we not have a Utani at the end of one of the AVP movies? Well, we've had two Waylands. In AVP, you had Wayland, who was played by Lance Henriksen. And Utani, I think, turned up in the second one. I remember a Japanese woman who was just referred to as Miss Utani. Yes. And then we had Guy Pierce playing Wayland in Prometheus. AVP doesn't count. It's not part of continuity. I mean, what is? Ridley Scott said that Alien and Aliens were the only films he recognised before he made Prometheus as well. Oh, it's a mess. They just can't make good films out of this franchise anymore. It was exactly the thing was, and then he made Prometheus. Yeah. If you listen back to myself, Angus and Natalie talking about Alien versus Predator, we concluded that it wasn't that bad. It's fine as a schlocky action film. AVP 2 is considerably less than fine. It is... Unwatchable. It is so bad. Prometheus, I do not like. That is this year's Alien Day. That'll be coming up in a couple of months. So that'll be exciting hearing us talk about that. It will be, yes. But yes, this TV series, who knows? We'll find out. We'll see what the setup is. But anyway, that was our last news item. And I'm not even going to check if there's anything else to add. I'm done. (laughs) So much content. I need to get that pill to catch up with not sleeping so that I can watch some of this. That was our discussion of February 2022. Let us hope March is less brutal with content reveals. Andrew, thanks for persevering through this really long conversation about the trailers and news of March 2022. My brain hurts. Yeah, mine too. I want to go to sleep. (laughs) A big thanks to Neil Stenson for the supplied music. Please do hit that subscribe button on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Wherever you can rate us, please do rate us. But Andrew, how many stars would you like as a rating? That would be a big fat five. Big fat five. Except no substitutes. Give us whatever you want, really. But five would be great if you feel like our long-form discussion.